and no. bad argument. You want to hear my opinion, McCurdy? Shut the f*** up. You're doing the same thing you did back in Goldfinger. You're doing the same thing you did back in Goldfinger. Shut your mouth. Make good arguments. Shut your mouth. Make good arguments. Shut your mouth. Shut your fucking mouth. Welcome back to R-A-N-K-E-D. I'm C-H-A-R-L-E-S. I'm R-Y-A-N. I'm Scott. <laughs> I'm Nathan. <laughs> my dick. Uh, if you're just joining us, we have ranked each of the Bond movies you can see right below me. This episode's mission is to find a place for A-V-T-A-K. But you guys ruined my little game. A View to a Kill wraps up Roger Moore's time as 007 with a bang. And a bang. And a bang. And a bang. But not a literal bang, because that would mean he failed his mission against Max Zorin, a psychopathic Nazi experiment baby and KGB agent gone rogue. Silicon finger. He's the man with the Microsoft touch. Hellbent on executing Operation Main Slam Grand Strike to take out the San Francisco Bay Area and destroy the U.S. microchip manufacturing hub of Silicon Valley so that his microchips will be more valuable. I conservatively estimate 10 times. Bond's mission is to stop Zorin, make his septuagenarian Hitler-heiling geneticist father figure kill himself with dynamite, get the girl, and ultimately... Dance into the fire! Dance into the fire! Alright, enough of that. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Come on, Chicken dude. That, like, We're good. You guys never want to sing song. with me. That song is amazing. S- song's a banger. It did well. As, they're call- as the kids so say, called today, Durand. it's a banger. It did it's well. so good. So, trivia for A View to a Kill. 1985's A View to a Kill, originally titled From A View to a Kill, but quickly changed. Lose from. Doesn't begin with a pre-title sequence, but a disclaimer that Zorin Industries is fictional. This was due to a real company with a similar name, Zoran Industries, spelled with an A instead of an I, which ironically still exists and is headquartered in Silicon Valley, where they make microchips. Hmm. What is also interesting to note is that the name Zoran, as the real company is spelled, is derived from the Hebrew word for silicon, uh, Tozeran. If there's a letter difference, there's no lawsuit, right? When they made the film and they were creating the, when they wrote it, they didn't know that there was an actual company named Zoran. (laughs) So they were like, uh, and and it, the fact that it was a company that was also a Microsoft company and everything. If only else. they had the internet. Yeah, they what didn't is know that. Internet? So when they came up with the name, they were like, oh crap! So then they had to put the, this disclaimer in the beginning of the movie. So this company was active in '85. Yeah, it was created in '81. Still going hmm. on today. Makes microchips. Nice. Is there another story called "From a View to a Kill"? And that's why they dropped. From? I think it was just easier to say a view to a kill than a from a view to a kill. But if yeah. you watch the end of Octopussy, they title it from a view to a kill and they change the title to a view to a kill. Hmm. And they also work it in in the dialogue in a natural way. <laughs> yeah, I, there's no way you can say from in that scene. What a view to a kill. So speaking of characters named Max Zorin, uh, he was originally cast to be played by David Bowie, but then he was dropped because Bowie 
didn't want to just watch a stunt double do all the cool stuff. So they got instead the talented Christopher Walken. Uh, more, who, who more everybody power. loves to intimidate. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most walking delivered line yeah. in the whole movie. More, more power. Oh yeah, it's it like really he breaks is. character and just becomes himself in that yeah, moment. Yeah, straight up. Yeah, Tanya Roberts, the female lead, playing Stacy Sutton, uh, had played the main character oh. in the last season of Charlie's Angels. But most Fire. people our age all know her Fire. from uh, that '70s show as Donna's mom, Midge. Interesting enough, in an episode titled The First Time, Midge and Bob renew their vows, and all of her bridesmaids are former Bond girls, including Maude Adams, who makes a cameo no supposedly <laughs> in this film at the wharf dock scene. However, there are a lot of people, there's a lot of scrutiny uh, behind this claim. So some people point out this one person in the background during that scene. But if you look at Coming it carefully, it's bus? not. Also, like it's either on the bus or when he's walking. Maude Adams on doesn't the, ride the bus, the bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, there all these people coming off the bus. She played a fisherman. Maude Adams' boyfriend is in one of the scenes, and oh. Roger Moore is like, "Yeah, that was Maude's boyfriend." And him and Maude was visiting the set that day, and they were like, "Oh, we'll just be in the movie as background." So she was in the background supposedly, but they may have just cut the scene that she was in or whatever. But anyway, uh. Yeah, Maude Adams was maybe in the movie, but no one's 100% sure on that. Uh, Somebody would have found a screenshot by now yeah. and posted it. There's, there are so. screenshots that say, oh, it's Maude, this is Maude Adams. But some people have been like, that's not Maude Adams. Yeah. Uh, so while we're on the topic of Bond girls, you can recognize the beautiful Jenny Flex as Allison Duty. It's her name, who pay, plays oh. the equally gorgeous Fräulein Elsa Schneider in uh. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Cue the clip. <laughs> Touch me. <laughs> not that clip. <laughs> not that clip. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to have. I have to say this, but who would not join the Nazi party if you could get yourself that? Oh my god! Frau I know. I know. I know. She's the top of my list in this movie. How did you know she was a Nazi? She talks in sleep. Which one are you talking about? Jenny uh, Flex, dude. Place, Jenny Flex. Remember when the bodies are floating by and she's yeah, like, she's Jenny! And, you know, Bond's like, It's too late. Leave her. There's nothing you can do. I almost went into, into Connery. Yeah, Mayday, she's dead. She's fucking dead. So, uh, speaking of <laughs> Mayday, Grace Jones, actress, singer, and model, plays the henchwoman Mayday. Uh, Jones, at the time, was dating actor Dolph Lundgren, uh, who was on set when a background actor didn't show up, so director John Glenn put him in the movie as one of General Gorgles. Gorgles? Is that how you say his name? Gorgles? Gogol. Gogol. Every Gogol, episode, whatever. we're Gogol. like, Goggles? <laughs> Goggles? <laughs> I always get it wrong, Gogol. but he's the henchman in that scene when the general first shows up and he's talking to uh, Zorin. He's the, you can obviously tell who it is, but yeah, he's yeah. in the movie. He doesn't have a line, and I'm curious, when did Rocky Four come out? Rocky Four release date, November 2785. So right at the same time. It's interesting because, you know, he's he's so easy to spot out because it's like that's Dolph Lundgren. Like, yeah. And then yeah. but he doesn't have a line. So you almost think that this is earlier to where he wasn't a big actor. You know, I mean, Rocky Four is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then speaking of uh, General. Gogol. 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 Like Google, but Gogol. Gogol. I swear there's an R in there. There's G-O-G-O-L. 
Gogol. So Gogol's female agent, Bond, James Bond, rendezvous with was originally intended to be Agent Triple X from The Spy Who Loved Me, Anya Asimov. No way! I was gonna say, guys, wouldn't that have been cool had the KGB agent been Triple X? The bubbles tickle my... Jankowski. This must be the inspiration for the awesome power scene, right? With a lot of vagina or whatever. Yeah, but of course, Barbara Bach was too busy with her man, conductor of the Shining Time Station, Ringo Starr. I'd like to be <laughs> under the sea in Octopussy's garden <laughs> in her bush. It was clearly motivated by Triple X reprising a role. Mm-hmm. And without her reprising a role, it does kind of feel like something's missing. Like, why yeah. are we wasting mm-hmm. our time with him banging this really sexy Russian woman? For Bond to accomplish this task, he takes the tape from the Russians. In rewrites, he could have simplified it, but just having Bond, Bond listen in. tape or something. Yeah. It does show that the KGB is yeah, trying to take him that's, out. That's the point of that scene, though. But yeah. like, yeah, it's like, yeah. but I see what you're saying. It's like, you could have simplified it. But I do like that it ties the Russians more into the story, which makes it a little more interesting for me. Like Honor Blackman and Diana Riggs, before him, we have another former Avenger from the British television show join the cast in Patrick McNeese's performance as Sir Godfrey Tibbet. I saw this casting in much the same way that Tarantino's Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood describes TV show casting back in the 60s where they would get a star from the 50s to be like the villain of the week for that uh, mm-hmm. movie or the te- or in that episode. And then that character would be basically facing off against this other character. So, but instead of facing off, they're, they're teaming up. So in this one, we have Simon Templar's The Saint, which was Roger Moore, teaming up with another British secret agent, John Steed from The Avengers, uh, which is Patrick uh, Mackney. And then this <laughs> one, I'm going to steal from, from Scott. I don't know, Scott, if you know this story or not. But the theme song to A View to a Kill, it's probably one of the, to me, it's like the second best Bond song next to Live and Let Die as far as just memorable and everybody remembers this one because it was up a Up to this point song. or I think up in to this general. point. Okay. Up to this point, it's like the second best or up one of the best. Up to this point for sure. Because I'm always uh, going to want the one, like I'm, I will always opt for, uh, like I said before, Bond songs are really sexy, kill. you know, big horns and all that. But yeah, but this, but I, uh, I love, I prefer the high energy ones that get you pumped up. Sure. And this one, this one was just this one gets so you moving. 80s. So good. It's what I mean by that. It's just as popular music for the time. And even now, like people still remember this song, particularly yeah. it still plays on the radio today. Uh, but it's uh, View to a Kill was written but performed by British New Wave band Duran Duran. So the story goes, bassist John Taylor was at a party with Cubby Broccoli and drunkenly asked the producer, when will you get someone decent to write the theme song? And that turned into... And Shirley into, Bass, he was right there and she threw a drink in his face? <laughs> yeah. And that turned into, uh, of course, them getting the job. So lesson learned, always ask stupid questions when you're drunk to big wigs because you never know that might get you your next job you never know uh and then finally this is the last film for not one but two reoccurring actors first and foremost roger moore who was 57 when they filmed this movie and i had to check daniel craig is 53 so he was the oldest actor to play bond and then of course secondly you have lois maxwell who had played the character of money penny for 14 films it makes sense that they were like hey let's get rid of lois or like you know retire her as an actress on the you know get someone to replace her as well just get rid of her i don't know (laughs) 
I need a cigar it, it to chomp on. It makes sense in my mind because you want to get somebody who's close in age to Bond, and it worked when Roger Moore was there, but now that she's also very old as well, it's like, well, let's get two actors that are about the same age. Like we said before, it's, it's adorable when they're together, mm-hmm. but you just can't jump to Dalton and have wrinkly old money penny. You have to start fresh, as you yeah. have to with everything periodically if you want it to keep going. Again, like I said, before money penny's whole thing is it's like she's what bond would have if he dropped out if he retired it's like his one backdoor option to having a normal life is money penny and you can't have that if money penny's like 50 years old that's why a lot of these the girls in this movie don't make a whole lot of sense for like it's just like oh they're all so young looking compared to even said that he was appalled the fact that uh tanya roberts mom was younger than him yeah <laughs> and like that was the point where he's like i rough. gotta stop making these movies like that's- stop paying me just please <laughs> stop bringing me back yeah so tanya roberts no, is I like didn't. please keep really bringing young. me back please keep time. bringing me back why would you and he's not like i need I'll to keep doing them but I, either they need to write my characters super old or i need to quit and it, even yeah. sean connery who he's i mean bond. he was friends with Moore, had even said he's like bond should be like 30 35 and me and Moore are way too old like we shouldn't be playing this bond's age anymore. is irrelevant bond should be able to pull whatever girl <laughs> he wants whenever the f- he wants because he's bond yeah period agreed on yeah. a certain level. I will say, though, that speaking of being too old to do stuff, stunt guys made a killing on this movie. <laughs> Roger Moore is hardly in this movie. It's like 50% of the screen time <laughs> is stunt guys, and oh they, they, they don't God. even care to hide it. The scene I think we're all thinking of is when the top of the car gets ripped off. <laughs> yeah, you can see the wig. <laughs> the wig. One of the more blatant for me is the granddad's ashes. And it's like in one shot, it's just the stunt guy's back. And the stunt guy throws a vicious punch and then they cut and Bond's handling the vase. They generally do a decent job of hiding stunt guys. And this one, they're like, fuck it, because it's a stunt guy every five seconds. So (laughs) we're past the day of ragdolls and... but we, we definitely well, see the there's stunt definitely men. a lot of ragdolls yeah. in this one. Yeah, well, there's two. There's two that are necessary. There's even one point where you see Gogol's double is in the car, and you can tell it's a double and it's not him. Uh, when the, uh, the Russian agent comes out of the uh, spa and she walks into the car, and that's an exterior scene. If you look closely, that's not the same. That's not Walter Coggle or whatever his or Kotel or whatever his name is. It's a double. And then when they cut back to the interior of the car, which is probably on the soundstage, it's the actor. I need to make a point, at least building off that right now, because that's the only time it makes sense. Every single Bond film, they just make Russians look like idiots. All <laughs> and of <them>. cops. <laughs> they make them look like weak idiots. How? In, 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 in that scene, they, they get the tape. Do you have the tape? Here's the tape. They put the tape in. He goes, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> they make the oh, yeah, Russians that, that look, look like idiots. Well, in all I mean, these films, American, they, they really American have. British audience, though. Like, why, well, would you yeah, make, why would you make the Russians yes, look exactly. good? In yeah. a film that is very much tied to what was going on at the time being the Cold War. So. McCurdy. McCurdy, I fully f***ing understand. I get it. I get it. But I'm just saying but they make saying them look like you're saying that makes me like think you don't understand that. <laughs> no, no, I do. I fully do, but it, it's... Uh, I mean, I, I get your point, film, though. Yeah, they make them silly, but that's also film, to, to make Bond look good, For one too, film, you know? I want them to seem formidable. But and they don't. Point, they never do. Dude, we will get we'll there. We'll see. We'll get there. 
Oh, we will yeah, get there. Like Charlie said, we will get, get there. I can't wait to we get there. We can't talk about the future. <laughs> the future is not here. I want to pass it off to Naz, Nans. I don't know what it's called. Uh, I want to pass it off to Did Nans. you just call him Nads? I would call him Nads. <laughs> Nads, because he's got balls. I want to pass it off to Nans, uh, first time viewer. What did you think of the movie? Uh, like most of them, I definitely enjoyed like the first half or so, and then it slowed down. Uh, overall for the movie, meh. I enjoyed okay. Christopher Walken. I enjoyed like Mayday and like just generally the bad guys and the plot, though, you know, it being a recycling of Goldfinger wasn't great. Um, but I thought there was some cool stuff with like the blimp and the, the plot was interesting and somewhat different and up to date. Um, it must be a bad movie if we only got one word. Normally we get two words. This time we just got meh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would overall though I would rank it pretty low. This is a lot of Goldfinger. It's mm-hmm. almost a straight up remake just without a nuke, but it still or has, you know, the same explosive <laughs> ending. But it fixes certain things I did not like about Goldfinger. They have the same like miniature map of the plot yeah. and explaining it to the henchmen and yeah. killing yeah. one of them. Yeah. yeah. He even says, Today we make microchips from silicon, which is common sand, but far better than gold. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of throwing these up, you know, in, in a sense, like this is better. This is bigger than Goldfinger itself, even all the way down to the stud farm. I really liked the horse stuff. I was like, Oh, he's like juicing up these horses. Cool. It, kind of begins with a smuggling issue just like goldfinger even the cat's name is pussy yeah. as in the galore kind there's like a subtle nazi connection like i know that goldfinger you know he was a nazi in real life and not in the movie but there's still this germanic quality to him where you can almost see like if you shrunk him down he would almost look like zorin but he's not german right he's or is kgb like, yeah but but he was created by the nazis dr karl Mortner at your service I am Mr. Turin's breeding consultant. His name is actually Hans Glaub. During World War II, he experimented with steroids on pregnant women in the concentration camps in an attempt to enhance intelligence. The Russians grabbed him, set him up in a laboratory. He spent several years developing steroids for their athletes. All this talk of steroid kids, and then there's Dolph Lundgren, who later beats up Rocky. I must break you. He killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> he dies. Yeah. He dies. Is one of the steroid kids? A physiological freak. It's subtle, but there's like this implied genetic tampering, even with Mayday, because even when he says that line, it's like you're a freak mm. or something like that. And she picks up uh, like a 200 pound guy. Yeah. Yeah. She's implied to also be a part of some kind of experimentation as well. So you kind mm-hmm. of yeah. see some kind of weird parallels. I just there's a part of me that we're like, Charlie, I definitely agree with you at that. It does fix some of the pieces that seem a little odd in Goldfinger. Like the one particular one I know you're going to point out is the crime boss scene where he kills yeah. the crime boss. The first guy's like, I don't want to do this. And then he takes him out and then he crushes them and kills them and then eventually kills all of them, which doesn't make sense. But in this no. movie, it's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll step out. The guy's like real polite about it, too. Would you wait outside? If you'd like me to. Yes. Excuse me. No, he's not polite. He's like defiant. Like, oh, yeah, you yeah. want me to go? OK, excuse Fine. me. Fine. Excuse me. I, I Excuse thought me. he was just like, oh, okay. You know. And then he walks out and then he gets thrown out. And then all the guys yep. are like, so anybody else want to yeah. quit? And then they're all like, it's like we Max cut. Zorin gets the only Bond joke of the whole movie. So does anybody else want to drop out? Yeah, <laughs> it's depressing because the other yeah. ones are terrible. The other ones are. Don't worry. It's all wrapped up. 
neither of those guards died, so I don't think that counts. And then, there's a fly in his suit. Which technically fits within the criteria of a murder having taken place, and then it's a pun. You know, it's a pun on fly fishing, whatever. It basically wins by default, but Zorin steals the spotlight so far as Bond jokes are concerned. Does anybody else want to drop out? I think Zorin's an interesting character. I just don't think they mm-hmm. utilized him well enough no. to, for that particular yeah. story because they were like, well, we're trying to remake Goldfinger, so let's make it more like Goldfinger, where they had this really cool, like, oh, no, he's an experimental, like, psychopath and and yeah. you know he has high intelligence and maybe even high, like super strong but we never really see that as much as i think we should like we see the psychopathic yeah. nature of him especially when he's killing all the guys in the, in the, yeah. in the mine. Easy. like how is but, he like, not smart though but right, is that what you're saying they we just we, it's just like he's on a computer i mean he's keen but it's like i wish we could have seen a little bit more stuff with that yeah. and it's just like his whole motivation is like greed where i'm like Okay, like I, but, but it's just but a like, very Lex but what about, but what about Goldfinger then? Your whole, like you, you talked up loving Goldfinger. I do, but, it, but I what's think the Goldf- difference? Here's here's the biggest difference. Goldfinger I think. speaks well. He actually has a point. He has a plan. Hold on, Scott. he carries it. How out. does Max Zorin not have any of those things? This movie doesn't really. It's like he was he was experimented, and then he was a KGB agent, and then it's like greed. Like, he just wants money, but I wish there was more, like, had there been some kind of revenge or something else in there besides that I'm doing this with money. That's where I'm like, I'm like, I get what you're saying, Charlie. Like, they do Goldfinger a little bit better in some aspects, but there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but it just feels like you copy and pasted rather than try to find a new story that's more interesting. And even though you create this interesting character, which I mind you, like, it's just exposition dialogue that a character says... That, oh, yeah, by the way, Zorn was a genetic freak and he possibly like they they allude to he's like, could he also have been one of these genetic genetic freaks kind of thing? And then here's the thing. Here's they don't do much with that after that. I read what you're saying, but I think that's overpowered by the psychopathy. I think the fact that he like because gold member gold member (laughs) Goldfinger uh, was not a they they both love gold. Uh, He wasn't. he wasn't necessarily a psychopath. He just loved gold so much that he just, it was greed. This is gold, Mr. Bond. All my life I've been in love with its color, its brilliance, its divine heaviness. I welcome any enterprise that will increase my stock. But it was an interesting plot twist where it wasn't stealing, it was the destruction. Yeah, that worked to me really well. I think Zorn being a psychopath is that, twist to where it's almost like it's not even greed because he doesn't need money he just desires ultimate power he just like more 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 power more more power i don't even think the money has anything to do with it i mean when he's just mercilessly killing everybody and like one of the greatest bad guy moments ever He's laughing. I mean, even when he di- he has a Joker esque death where he's yeah, like, he laughs. Laughs. <laughs> the guy's just nuts and power hungry, yeah. and that's where Goldfinger is a little more subtle. I I think Max Zorin is is awesome, and I think yeah, Christopher Walken like is is great as Max. I'm not Zorin. saying I dislike Zorin. I'm just pointing mm-hmm. out that I don't. I feel like there was some missed potential there where they could have gone exactly. in a little bit. More. But like for him to get revenge, dude. Like like okay okay, he wants revenge against the West be, because of uh, they won World War II or something. I think I think that would be kind of below Max Zorin. That would be almost too emotional. 
Like Max Zorn doesn't have emotions. The guy is literally a psychopath because he's a genetic freak. All he cares about is power. Except if you compare the two, Goldfinger had more iconic lines. Take a fucking drink right now. Take a fucking drink. <laughs> even, even Do you expect me to talk? No, no, Mr. No, Bond, no. I expect you to die. Okay, we get it. Yeah, but, uh, and, and so, and so, okay. I'm, I'm siding with McCurdy in the fact that this guy was a genius psychopath, right? But we, we barely scratched the surface. He had so much more potential than scenes where he went, so, ha, <laughs> So? <laughs> so? <laughs> what was he supposed to say? Did you accomplish the task? Yes, Something I did. more you than know. so. <laughs> yeah, but, okay, then, then write a line right now. Like, what was he? I'm did not you writer. do it? Did you murder the guy? I, just, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't. Fair enough. I agree with McCurdy. He was under underused. He's a good, I don't know. like, I, again, I don't know. like I'm saying, it's, it's a really interesting backstory. They say it in the dialogue, he's a psychopath. But how many other villains have we come across that have some kind of psychopathic tendency? And then we're, this movie, we're just highlighting it. But, so. but not like, not officially, like not where they are literally like, a genetic creation how is, how gone is, wrong. Um, what, what's you know? his face? Uh, fish hands. How is he not a psychopath or Drax is a psychopath? You know, like they're still doing these megalomaniac things. How does that not psychopathic tendency? Those guys care about people. I intend to change the face of history. By destroying the world? By creating a world. A new and beautiful world beneath the sea. A new super race. A race of perfect physical specimens. Max Zorn is such a psychopath that he's even willing to sacrifice Mayday just on a whim. But Mayday and my men. Yeah, a convenient coincidence. Mr. Zorn, those men are loyal to you. We haven't seen that yet. I mean, as we talked about in depth in the Moonraker episode, these guys are doing things that really aren't for their own gain, per se, as much as it's some grand sacrifice towards some ultimate dream that is supposed to better things for everybody. The only hope for the future of mankind. Like gods, your offspring will return to Earth and shape it in their image. But they do it by way of killing a whole bunch of people. It's the same argument as like, is Thanos a psychopath just because he kills a bunch of people? Or don't you believe that he actually is well-intentioned the argument is just whether or not genocide is actually a noble cause, which obviously it's not. And when we faced extinction, I offered a solution. Genocide. But random, dispassionate, fair to rich and poor alike. They called me a madman. And what I predicted came to pass. Thanos, Stromberg, and Drax would all tell you that they're the good guy, but... Max Zorin is just a bad dude who is only out for his own empowerment. To me, it's just not as interesting as some of the other characters we've seen. And, I, that, and not that I don't like, and I think that's the problem is I think that between the character, how he's written and Walken's performance, there's something really good there because Walken can perform, like Walken's perfect at performing that psychopathic, crazy character. I just feel like great 
we got this cool character. Could his could his uh I mean, could there be more to what he wants other than to destroy Silicon Valley so he makes more money? I just like I felt like there was something missing there that could have been explored. And I only feel that way because it's like, oh, this is a copy paste of Goldfinger. It's, but dude, mm-hmm. but but like that's, that's where I that's where it, I we're talking me. world domination. Like you own it's not all of the microchips on the planet and you run the planet. Jeffrey Bezos. Oh. Jeffrey Bezos. And I, think, I mean, come on. I also think there's holes in that no. plan to just suggest that Silicon like this movie I wants disagree. you to know that, like, yes, Silicon okay. Valley creates Scott, all the how? How are you not running the planet if you control all the microchips, especially microchips that are, that are EMP, EMP resistant? Magnetic pulse. Yes, Minister. One burst in outer space over the UK and everything with a microchip in it, from, well, the modern toaster to the most sophisticated computers and our defense systems, would be rendered absolutely useless. We'd be paralyzed at the Russians' mercy. Who's to say they can't make a mass-producing center somewhere else? They have that same technology. The equivalent of Silicon fucking Valley? Over 250 plants employing thousands of scientists, technicians. This is the heartland of electronic production in the United States, which accounts for, what, 80% of the world microchip market. You destroy Silicon Valley and okay, you have so Zarin's all those gonna, chips. So Zarin has you an have equal made. Silicon Valley somewhere else. He doesn't right now. No, he he's doesn't. been stockpiling. And he's going to form an international cartel, as he said. We are now in the unique position to form an international cartel to control not only production, but distribution of these microchips. So he's who's to say the British can't make it at the same speed he can? Okay, Scott. He's already right got now, him. there's shortages all over the planet because of COVID and shit, right? If you right, have, businesses are going to buy from whoever's if got you're stock, like okay, right now COVID. there is a, there's a microchip shortage. If you have a stock, if you if you have stockpiled microchips and silicon valley gets destroyed tomorrow you're made yeah in the current economy and and this, <laughs> this fictional economy and this fictional economy like suddenly this so guy how, has how are you attributing a fictional economy to the 1980s because i'm trying to illustrate that you're fucking wrong because if you have a, sh- a massive stockpile of microchips and then you destroy Silicon Valley, the value of your I microchips it, I get it. He are has a just like Goldfinger. For sure. Yeah. Can I vote that we move on to another topic? That's well, what I like was we're going in circles. Okay. Yeah, we are going in circles. <laughs> going in circles. Um, but but let, me, let me just circle back, though, real quick. Just, oh. just, just, <laughs> let me just, just do one. Just, no, just talking about Goldfinger. So, again, with Goldfinger, it has a prologue that doesn't weigh in on the plot, whereas this does, as, you know, McCurdy already said, the gangster scene doesn't make any sense. With this... It's like, hey, let me show you out. And then Mayday pulls her little switch. And that's kind of like what we talked about with Stromberg, where Stromberg has this big table and you just think it's in some castle somewhere. And then it's like, oh, it's underwater. And then with this, it's just a boardroom. And then suddenly it's revealed like, oh, we're high up in the air. So not only is the way that Zorin kills that one guy fun and creative, but it also makes sense that he has to kill that guy to maintain the secrecy of his plot. And for all we know, he really only kills that guy and the leader of the miners, right? Who's also sitting at that boardroom table. Whereas with Goldfinger, he takes that one guy out and sends him on his way with the gold that he later has to pry apart from the car. Whereas he could have just left that guy 
with all the other gangsters to die by gas. It's just, it's stupid. Ajab kills the guy by shooting him, and then he goes and crushes the car, and then they have to bring the car back and separate the gold from it. Forgive me, Mr. Bond, but uh, I must arrange to separate my gold from the late Mr. Solo. <laughs> Get rid of one of those. Like, don't load it up with the gold. Like, why load it up with the gold when you're just going to have to separate it later? Or how um, once you shoot the guy... You don't need to crush the car anymore. But how amazing would it have been, though? And maybe it's because it was the 60s. But imagine if instead Ajab just like pulled off and the guy's like, hey, you missed the exit, you stupid idiot. And then he just pulls into the car lot. He gets out and locks the doors. And then the guy's just stuck in there as the magnet comes down and picks him up. And he's like, no, hey, hey, bounding on the windows and it's being crushed. And he's like, that would be cooler. Like (laughs) that would have been amazing. But instead, they did the stupidest thing. I have a feeling that's what it was intended. But I I would hope so. Yeah, couldn't be done. Bond also solves the problem with his dick. On one end, that's fun because it's Bond. But on the other hand, um, it feels too at deus machina. And I will say on that note, I never really gave Ajab proper props for the fact that one of the lieutenants of Goldfinger is immediately willing to defuse the bomb because he doesn't want to die. And Ajab kills that guy because Ajab's just loyal to the end. Whereas with Mayday, she gets betrayed. And I thought that creep loved me. So she ends up being the catalyst for how, you know, the whole situation gets reversed, which is awesome. Her redemption moment is great. Um, but like Ajab, Ajab would have <laughs> still been fighting Bond down in like the bomb pit or whatever. And again, in the same way that we got the satisfaction of seeing the detonator go off in Octopussy, instead of just a counter stopping, we get to see the detonator go off in this one too. So much more satisfying of a ticking clock than just like tick, 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 done. Okay, we're done. Yeah. As far as similarities go to keep going, um, the stud farm is straight out of Goldfinger. But also very reminiscent of um, Drax's compound in Moonraker, right? The whole mm-hmm. French also connection. In France, yeah. So moving forward, right away, they're like, here's this microchip. We found it in Siberia. It was clearly stolen from this company that Max Zorn recently bought. Because of that coincidence, they immediately began investigating Max Zorn. They go to the English version of the Kentucky Derby or whatever. Yeah, I thought we were in Kentucky. No. That was, I believe, in wow. France. I don't think. Yeah, that wow. was in Britain. You narrow-minded f- <laughs> Thank you. Wow. The Kentucky Derby? That's the only thing I understand. You're narrow-minded. Oh, my God. Oh, the British have been racing horses far longer than we ever were. But I thought we were at the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> Initially, I oh, thought there's, that. There's hats and sh- top hats. And British people are there? Well, I was like, why is Money Penny there? Like, they flew her out, too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Q. They brought Q as well. They brought They're everybody just enjoying the race, that. and everyone else is working. I was like, what is this, yeah. like a corporate day off? Exactly, yeah. So at that point, we meet Tibbet, and Tibbet's like, it's pretty shady that his horrible horse won this derby. And then we have our one zany assassin scene, but it's May Day, so it's not exactly zany. It's just kind of, it's a little, it's a little it's goofy. Silly. It is silly. It's not the it, worst thing know, in this movie, but it's... The butterflies. No. <laughs> yeah, papillon. But um, I gotta be honest, I love that car chase. It, I laugh my ass off 
It is good. I really it do. It's so funny like it when he's driving the little okay, thing. Okay, this, 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 so this, this, this is my this is this is the point I want to make about this movie. <laughs> no back that to really the car. that really puts it down several notches for me, and that is <laughs> the plot of this movie is like again like we were talking about. It's very straightforward. It's actually not that bad. I actually thought it was way easier to understand than Octopussy. Yes, but what it lacks that octopusy had and that was the spectacle of octopusy i thought was a lot better than this film for one like the iceberg sub and the beach boys needle drop i was like okay that's just <laughs> dumb hell yeah uh the paris that has sick the why iceberg not? sub i'm why like not? okay I, the iceberg sub i can give a slight pass the the beach well boys, the iceberg sub makes total sense i'm sick no, hold on i can give it a slight pass i'm like Perfect. okay i get it you gave it a pass that's fine i'm giving it a I little disagree. bit of a pass but then the Beach That's Boys the perfect thing was like, was like, are you serious? The Beach Boys is but, okay. silly. The, the Beach, Beach Boys, Boys needle is, drop. It, it is, but at the same time, I thought we, um, I thought we were done that with that stunt, after Moonraker. That stunt is so it's the fucking eighties. And it okay. Here's the what I'll say. I'm not, here's what I'll I'm, say. Not, I'm not saying that the snowboarding <laughs> at least part of it is though. bad. I'm not saying the snowboarding part of it is bad. The Beach Boys well, okay, thing, okay. I think, is it's just It's obviously dumb. ridiculous that that <laughs> thing that blew up. Thing the, the snow track blew this. up, and then there's like a. It, it happens to have footholds on it, right? Like it, like he. Yeah, he can wear it too, like that. I mean it's yeah. I mean the the premise is ridiculous and it's clearly just there to have a cool stunt. And the stunt is cool to go I'm not the just, snowboard I'm not down the stunt. I am not saying what I'm saying, I'm not saying the stunt with the snowboard thing is bad. Just the I'm music. not saying yeah. that. Just for yeah. the record, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is the Beach Boy needle drop in the beginning of the film is so stupid. But don't you expect that at this point? Don't you expect don't want that it at this point? I am that so is, that is I was purely sick of it to disassociate all the old it's, it's, ski to scenes me it's that the Bond same has way. had. It, it, now no. he's got a Scott, snowboard. Now he's hip. Okay, okay. One, one, one thing, like, it, just as far as it's you. put together, though, I will say that the song runs for a bit before the stunt. So it's like, it's kind of funny, and it, it works a little bit better in that sense, rather than imagine this. Bond's like, it's like, do 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 and Bond shoots down, and then as soon as he hits the water, it's like, I wish that I- It doesn't work as a climax. Had it only lasted as long as the slide yeah. whistle did, that would have been horrible, <laughs> but at least it lasts for like a good 20, uh, 30 seconds to facilitate just enjoying it, whistle. because suddenly James Bond is snowboarding, and it's and it's ridiculous. So it's like, you know, it... it and I love the stunt well enough, and I love the Beach Boys well enough that that I'm like, do you expect anything different at this point? I do. <laughs> you know, I do. I do feel like what 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 it is is for me is like you see once John Glenn starts directing these films, they get a little bit tonally different, slowly, like a more serious, slowly but surely and they're getting more realistic. They're getting and more less realistic. Goofy. Yeah, and the fact that they throw this in there, I'm just like, oh, come on! Like I thought we were done with this, and that's yeah. that's just how I I instantly I'm just like. Can we can we not, guys? Come on. Yeah, uh, and I and Paris, I get that, but it's but it's hold like on, hold on. But that's so, it. Hold on. It's the one. Like that's like ski the one fight scene. Sh- How else do you update? Be, it should and be it's just in the, the opening one. too. It's in the it opening where the it's one. like the it's not it's not like the most tense thing ever. It's another no. ski scene. But it's, it's another it's ski another scene. Ski scene. Here's updated. the thing: all the action scenes in this movie all have something overly ridiculous, and that is what I hate about this movie. I just like that to me is what puts them like the overtly silly or stupid set pieces in this movie the paris car chase scene it's 
fine until the car breaks in half, and then it's just like, are you serious? <laughs> I this love is it. A and then, and then, hold on, wait for it. And then we go to San Francisco. The fire truck chase feels like a different movie entirely. Yeah, like, but, but we have two what, cars like joined together. No, it's it feels it's like, like it's something that should have been something. Cannonball Run or Blues Brothers. You have cars conjoined together. You have a fire truck like being chased down. You have it flying over a bridge, and then all the cars like crash into each other. I'm just like, this looks like it should have been in Blues Brothers. You could have put the Benny Hill music under this and it would work perfectly. But, but okay, wait, you wait. Know, are you like saying that, that in, in that relation whole... to the rest of A View to a Kill? Or yes. are you taking like into bomb, account yes. that, like, we still are on the heels of. Like, you of, have this villain, uh, like, Charlie, we were talking about know? this really interesting villain that, while I'm like, I, I wish it had, they'd done more with them, it still was, you know, he at least had this interesting backstory. We have this scene where he's mowing down all of his henchmen and stuff. And then in the same movie, we have car chase scene with cars conjoined together that look like it should have been a Blues Brothers movie with a fire truck and Bond <laughs> hanging onto the ladder. And then the girl be like, I don't know what how to drive and like going dude, over dude. the bridge. And then the cars dude. Drunk, like it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Dude, it is. Have you ever driven ridiculous. a fucking fire truck? <laughs> you don't think you'd have a little panic moment? Being chased by the police is, and driving besides, uh, something, something that weighs several that tons. Scene, I don't matter. like it either. The McCready. scene itself is overly comedic. The fire truck scene is. It's yeah. it's, it's like, overly comedic. It doesn't matter if anybody was driving the the fire truck. It's an overly comedic scene. I will say that we're still with it. Like I, I totally agree with you that that John Glenn took over with Free Your Eyes Only. Right. So mm-hmm. we are we are every, like every movie. And this will continue into the Dalton era. They slowly shed their goofiness to where this movie has Good. the least. Uh, I would I would say of of the three John Glenn movies, I think this has the least goofy, stupid, shit. stupid, goofy. Shit. I'm combining the two. What are the three Glenn yeah. movies? The Glenn for, your eyes only, for your eyes only, octopusy. For your eyes only, still had the last effects of ridiculous assassins, like the hockey assassins, or even the the chase scene with the again the drunk guy. You know, octopusy had we. You know, most of India is stupid, goofy. This one has the Beach Boys, which is in the prologue, and I I kind of forget that's, about it by the time the movie things. gets going. You got the Beach Boys. You have uh-huh. the half car chase sequence, which is still ridiculous and silly, I, and the and the so car enjoyable. stuff looks cool at first, <laughs> and then the car gets torn in half, and he's still driving it. I'm like, oh my god! I'm fine. Okay, with Top the car Gear chasing. guys, Top Gear guys, like, is that honestly? No, honestly, it's fine. It's four word wheel drive. It's right? you can yeah, could Top do that, Gear actually but it tried still, that. It's still Top very Gear silly. actually it's so tried a half car, a front driving two wheel car. Yeah, it's been done in Top Gear. It's not that crazy. It's silly. Well, the whole the whole. Like, Fucking thing is ridiculous, but that's my point. Though the whole thing is ridiculous, but it's fun. It's fun in the same movie where a guy mows down a bunch of henchmen and laughs maniacally. Yeah, I'm I'm separating. I'm <laughs> yes. I'm focusing on the goddamn fuck the future part. And then we get the rock salt scene. What's this loaded with? Rock salt. Oh, what about the rock salt? And then we get the rock salt scene. Rock salt, which is also kind of stupid. It's so enjoyable, though, dude. I mean, because again, again, as we've been talking about, what it comes down to is 
Uh, and this is this is me kind of giving it a pass by rationalization, but just hear me out. It's basically we've seen this shit before, so they have to keep changing stuff up. Just having another car chase where nothing interesting yeah. happens, or another shootout where everything goes as expected, it's it's it gets boring. So they switch it up, and in this, they throw a little obstacle in his path with the rock salt. Exactly. Because we're in the 14th movie, and this this hasn't been rebooted exactly. It's just it's just trying to uh, like like McCurdy. You said last time you're like, how many times have we had train scenes? But until Octopussy, we weren't on top of the train. It's like trying to just change stuff up so that it's not just the same thing over and over and over and over because it's a 14th film that so, was the point that was the point i was trying to make earlier with the snowboard that they're trying to change it up that's it yeah it's I, not just another Scott, ski Scott, scene where bond I don't gets mind away the snowboard again I, my point about the snowboard is not the I snowboard you so, just hate the snowboard the <laughs> don't confuse don't California, confuse my points girls. do not confuse yeah, my points no i get I it do not i totally get the snowboard. it that's I get great it. No, you don't, because you keep bringing it up. I'm not talking about the damn snowboard. I'm talking That's about the, the needle first drop. Time Those are two I brought different that up, different things. It's not that they're using rock salt. It's just the fact that we know that the villains have guns. And then it's like, well, why aren't they shooting back? We know Bond actually has dude, a real dude, gun. Dude, dude, dude. They weren't they weren't there to kill her. Why did they have guns then? To threaten her. Yeah. Why did and they, they still were, have guns? And though? they were why did and they, they still were have guns, and though? they were why did they were met by James Bond who beat the shit out of them and sent them along yeah. their way. They weren't there to kill anybody. They were okay. there to threaten her to accept the offer. Just drop the lawsuit and shut my mouth. I haven't accepted yet. So Zarin sent along his gorillas to help you make up your mind. The last thing they wanted to do was kill her, and they weren't expecting this random secret service guy to be there right so they they fled when they got their asses kicked you know rather and then that leads to worse stuff down the road because they because those guys run away that scene leads to the city hall scene directly and the rock salt is just kind of a fun little turn you know like that moment where the guy sits up and he's like why am i not dead and bond's like what the hell is this and she's like oh it's a non-lethal shot rock salt and he's like you're adorable but you're stupid oh by the way i don't have it uh, but uh we've never yeah, done your um, salt shooter I was, yeah i had oh it's sitting yeah. over there actually i have a salt gun uh anybody who uh, nobody's ever paid us for this show but if anybody wants to kill flies create an amazon affiliate account yeah yeah exactly link in yeah. the video bug info. assault it's called bug assault go my, buy one my, uh, my father love it. wants one of those Dude, I, I have you, five. I, you got one. I have five of them. I'm not kidding. I have them in every room, and I just ki- I let flies in the house, and then I shoot them with salt. And for anybody who doesn't know, it's a gun that shoots salt, and it's for killing pests. It's, it's like a nerf gun. Flies yeah. and stuff. It's amazing. That salt. Click the link in the description and go buy one of these. It's my new favorite thing. Sometimes I need a kill shot. Rock salt. Anyway, so um, they go to the stud farm based on what the detective guy said. And then we have a little fun scene with him and Tibbet where they go into the room and they find the bug and they put the recorder under, you know, with a pre-recorded tape to make it sound like they're there when they're not there. Again, just like live and let die, which is fun. But my favorite moment from that scene is when the, the guy listening is like, I wouldn't want to be his valet. Well, don't stand there panting, Tibbet. Start the unpacking. Here, let me help. Yes, sir. Oh, thank you, sir. He's like, you know, Tibbet, do this and Tibbet, do that. And Tibbet, you suck and you're stupid. And he's like. <laughs> He's like, sorry, sir, sorry. And, and Bond just says, I'm sorry, sir. Don't be so damned obsequious. Which all that <laughs> yeah. means is like, 
quit kissing my ass <laughs> as he's as he's like yeah. berating him, like berating him, berating him. Then he's like, sorry, sir. He's like, quit accepting my berating. <laughs> it's just so perfect and hilarious. But um, anyway, and then right after that is where Stacy comes into play. It should certainly bear closer inspection. We're on a mission. Sir Godfrey. On a mission, I am expected to sacrifice myself. Like we were saying last episode, where it's like, you know, Bond's always focused on the mission, but if he can also get laid, that's a good mission. Mr. St. John Smith. St. John Smythe, my dear. Bond is operating under the name St. John Smythe. St. John Smythe. St. John. St. John. St. John. St. John Smythe. Which, yeah. Um, it's awful. Kinda, kinda <laughs> and then weird, it but... turns into James St. John Smythe. The name is St. John Smythe. James St. John Smythe. Yeah. And, and part of that is that Bond is always doing that. Bond is provided with a cover. And then he always ends up just saying that his name's James Bond anyway. Same and what that goes to show is Smythe. what I was talking about again. What I was talking about last time is that I like when Bond is a provocateur. Provocateur. He goes somewhere. And even if he's supposed to have a cover... He still blows his cover because what he likes to do is to say things to somebody and see if they react. What about fishing? Fly casting. He wants to blow his cover in a way that, like, he doesn't totally blow it, but he rides that line to where he wants to get a reaction out of Zorin because that would confirm his suspicions. I will say, though that polarized glasses are probably the worst fucking gadget <laughs> ever. Mm. Ever. There's a camera lens that you can use that basically just gets rid of glare off windows so you don't see it in the shot. Polarized filter. So All polar it deep. is, is you, yeah. you twist it just like you would if you had polarized sunglasses and you do this. You put it on a lens and you turn it and it removes glare. Except they're like the biggest tabs ever on the bottom of his lenses. Yeah, exactly. It looks terrible. <laughs> it's stupid. Besides us just knowing how they pulled off that shot, which is like whatever, that gadget is just not a gadget. Like polarized sunglasses are just normal sunglasses bond didn't need to do that stupid ass tab thing and that looks ridiculous they're basically just trying to take something that is like an ordinary everyday thing and make it look all gadgety and it's just stupid all he had to do was just have normal polarized glasses you'd think on, uh you know? stacy sutton would be like hey there's like a weird guy looking at us yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 could you close the curtain window. And, and again it's it's all it's all for the sake of just I mean, he can see through the window already, but it just removes a little bit of glare. <laughs> it's so lame. So there's two things you were mentioning. Yeah. Uh, so Sinjin Smythe, the reason why it's pronounced Sinjin is because uh, it kind of goes back to uh, Norman French origin. So they would used to say like St. Clair would be Sinclair. So the sin would be Saint. So that's why there was Sinjin Smythe instead of uh, St. John. To make so him seem a little more cool. French, you mean? French, yeah. So yeah, it's like a Norman French style uh, writing. The one thing I think is interesting in this movie is like, you know, two movies ago, John Glenn comes on the scene. He's like, I want to get rid of gadgets in an interesting way that makes a point about the character that he can do a bunch of stuff without gadgets. This film still has lots of gadgets, but there's a lot all, of gadgets. They're all subtle and they're all like things that seem very practical for a spy to use. There's a tracker in the opening when he finds 003. There's the bug mm -hmm. finder shaver. There's the stupid ass polarized glasses. The check scanner, which is a that little ridiculous, cool. but whatever. It works. And the window opener. I'm not sure yeah. if there are any more than that. By, by sharper image. I don't know if you noticed by that. Sharper the, image, the yeah. thing was by sharper image. 
Yeah, uh, and no then they way. had a, you know the ring that took pictures. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's all they're all devices <laughs> that would seem somewhat practical that can be hidden, like opening doors, yeah. seeing through things, taking photos. We don't have exploding pins, basically. Yeah, they're not Deus Ex Machinas. They're yeah. he doesn't have his life saved by Q Branch here. We do have a Star Wars droid driving around though. Yeah, it's a simple setup for a joke at the end of the movie. Oh, James. <laughs> that reminded me of was it Rocky? Two or Rocky Four, where he has the robot. It was yeah. weird because I'm seeing Dolph uh, Lundgren. I'm like, well, and because it's so yeah. rough too. Like, yeah. it, it's just it, he's like, this is a highly advanced prototype, and it's like, you know, it's it's, it's obviously just, dated. I don't care about dated stuff because it's like, how are you going to avoid no. dating yourself? But especially when it's high tech stuff like this. But what does save Bond's life every time? It's quick thinking, right? Like a simple tire, like just sucking the air out of a tire saves his life. He gets keel hauled again, but in the sky to where he just ties a quick knot, just like he does with the rock underwater and for your eyes only. It's that balance, right? It's like you you said, John Glenn comes in. He's like, I don't want to just have Gadget save his life. I want Bond to save his own life. And that's, Mm. and so we, but he brings back gadgets, but not, so much that Bond's super reliant on them, but Bond is rather using his wits. We don't get a Q scene in this movie where he's like, pay attention, double a set. Like, we don't there, get that Dude, in yeah, movie. there's no Q scene. There's mm. no Holy Q scene. He's in the movie, but we don't get a, a lot, scene yeah. where he's like, pay attention, double seven. This is a, this is polarized glasses. <laughs> you put them on and you move the things and then you can see through windows. Yeah, but Q, I already could see through the window. Yeah, but now you can see better through the window. <laughs> if there's some kind of subtext to this movie, though, it, it does, like you were talking about computers and microchips. And I do, I think that was one thing that I wish we'd saw more of as far as like, it, it seems strange that the movie is all hell bent on just destroying Silicon Valley and the way it does, where I'm like, wouldn't it, it, it I, I guess this movie is just not ahead of its time and the fact that it could have been more about computers much like a movie like uh, like War Games or something like that, because we you do see like computers in this movie being used for good as well as computers being used for nefarious reasons as well. I find a computer indispensable. So it kind of yep. ties into the whole microchip thing. We have Q using a computer at one point in this movie. And Stacy uses one briefly. Stacy uses one to see seismic activity, and it's an apple. Yeah, Uh, which I thought was kind of cool. Speaking of your eyes only, we talked about how avenging Luigi is great, but Luigi himself is a little lackluster. Tibbet is great. Like Tibbet is what Luigi should have been, where we hang out with him a lot. We kind of go through some stuff with him. We kind of, you know, we're a little Mm. sad when Tibbet goes just because we spent time with him. You do feel sad. Yeah. When he's going through the car wash. It's like a very horror movie scene where he's just sitting there just, have yeah. to go like, yeah. like he's literally wash. like you can see it he's kind of smiling he's like yeah. i love car washes and then he just yeah. dies yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I, I will say it, it is movies like these like most people would be you know they'd be like oh horror movies um you know this uh they 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 taught me to like i don't know check dark rooms and all that for me watching these movies as a kid a movie like this is why i to this day i check the back seat when i get in my car you, because you Mayday always did kills do that in two high people. Oh, really? dude, I always check the back seat. Nobody will wow. ever sneak up on me, and it's mostly because of Mayday. Mayday kills two guys. <laughs> Just always check the back seat. Just always. You never know. Anyway, um, last time I pointed out how uh, you know, there was like a little Ocarina of Time moment with the um the the all female fortress, right? Like the Gerudo. 
Uh, this time, coincidentally, we had a little winning Epona moment where he's like, if you win a horse race, you get to keep this horse, you know? I mean, I'm like, I'm like one track mind. I'm like, Ocarina of Time again. Again, it's mixing things up, right? Like, let's have a chase scene, but let's have it steeplechase. Let's kind of shift it up. And and he tries to kill Bond by having the horse throw him. He puts all these obstacles in front of Bond, including hitting the little, like, button on his cane to make the horse throw him. But, you know, it's like Bond's too much of a badass. Before, I'd always say keeping Bond alive. But where it's naturally evolved to is that it's not about keeping Bond alive. It's about naturally plugging Bond's survival into the plot in a be- uh, believable way, rather yeah, than just having hire 50 million different assassins to try to kill Bond over and over and over again and fail all of them. Instead, with this one, it's like Bond runs into Mayday, but Mayday doesn't know it's Bond, and Mayday's actually running away from Bond, and Bond has to catch her, but he fails to catch her. Bond never identified her, so when he catches up with her later, he doesn't know it's her, and she doesn't know it's him either until she suddenly realized that it is him. He was the man at the Eiffel Tower. They're onto him at that point, so Zorin looks up on the computer and confirms that he's actually 007, so then because he knows he's 007, he fucks with him, because again, because he's got an ego, so he's like, I'm gonna have him killed by natural causes on this horse and I'm going to kill Tibbet. And then at that point, when Bond survives all of that, he just tries to kill him by drowning, and he's confident that he is dead. So then Bond's able to go about his business because Zorin thinks he's dead. Then Zorin finds out that he's actually alive. Once he finds out he's alive, he tries to kill him again with the fire. Bond manages to survive that as well. And then at the end, it's all you know about the showdown, about Bond running away, him trying to kill him with the flooding. I mean, it's all this natural push-pull, this up down between Zorn has the advantage and then Bond has the advantage. Just like back with Goldfinger, that was the same thing where it was like Bond wins, then he loses. Goldfinger wins, then he loses. And that kind of keeps us engaged in it. It all blends into the story seamlessly to where you don't get frustrated at the fact that Zorn can't just fucking kill Bond. And he's also not just sending a bunch of assassins. That's where it's a better Bond story rather than these frustrating uh, Roger Moore movies of the past. It's just like him running away all the time, running away, running away, assassin, running away, assassin, running away, another assassin, and they're all goofy assassins, you know? Um, This movie is so much more grounded in that sense, where you don't think Max Zorn's an idiot, because most of the time Max Zorn thinks that he's done his job, because the guy is literally trying to accomplish one of the biggest tasks ever, uh, is that's a that it takes a lot of planning in order to orchestrate a, a, whatever a double earthquake that's going to wipe out your competitors and all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a big deal. So double when he kills Bond, Bond's just like a fly double on his ass earthquake. that he swats, and then all these other people are just flies on his ass that he swats. But Bond, just like um, Kamal Khan says, he's like Bond's a rare breed, and uh, and Zorin doesn't really realize that. 
until the end of the movie, right? And even at that point, you know, he's still confident that he's going to kill Bond by way of the Golden Gate Bridge, and then he's going to double back, and he's going to go blow up the mine anyway and complete his business. This will hurt him more than me. (laughs) I love Gogol at the end of the film, too. The Order of Lenin for Comrade Bond. The first time ever awarded to a non-Soviet citizen. I would have expected the KGB to celebrate if Silicon Valley had been destroyed. Mm. On the contrary, Admiral. (laughs) Where would Russian research be without it? (laughs) (laughs) We need Silicon Valley, too. Well, I mean, and that's a real thing, right? Yeah. Because the the implication is that the Russians always would steal things from the United yeah. States all the yeah, time. Because that. they they were like, why make it ourselves when we could just steal it from the from the Americans? To this day, that's the same thing. You have you have communist countries that rely on the innovations of the West. Like you have capitalist co- uh, countries that, because they have competition, they have innovation, and then you have countries that stick to communism the idealism of communism and they don't have innovation because they don't have competition and so they feed off of um uh our innovations essentially which is really funny where you know the ideally the russians or the chinese would completely take over the planet and there'd be worldwide socialism as referenced in uh octopussy they're like world socialism will be achieved peaceably a military road is strictly defensive. But once they do that, they won't have the innovations afforded by capitalism. So what are they going to do? But um, so it's, it is it is kind of like a funny, like like we talked about. It's like they, they, they make the Russians look bad without really making, without demonizing them. They kind of make them no, goofy yeah, they make without them like demonizing they're, they're, them. They humanize them in that, that they're like, they, they need the West. Like they're, they're yeah. it's like the characters in, in the show, even, I mean, like for your eyes only, it's like there's this love-hate relationship. But we do see like this thread of a story with General Gogol that they started all the way back in The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. And then it keeps going on. And I like that they've created this B story with him that is kind of kept current with the Cold War stuff. So I thought that was kind of cool that they've kept that they kept that story going yeah. for as long as they have. Yeah. You did not request approval before eliminating 007. Reprisals might jeopardize ongoing operations. You jeopardize mine! Basically, I think that scene's obviously set up with the fact that you have the general, like, going after Max and be like, dude, we're on the same team. And he's like, I'm not, you know, like if they didn't put the, that, it just wouldn't work. Yeah, and, and just to emphasize my point about Zorn is that he's like... I no longer consider myself a KGB agent. We trained you, financed you. (laughs) What would you be without us? No one ever leaves the KGB. He just cares about power. Like, he's not... He doesn't... He would kill everybody on the planet just to rule things, right? Like, he's just purely a psycho. But anyway, who can tell me James Bond's... James Bond's cover name... When he's a writer, a reporter. James Stoke? Stock. James Stock. No, goddammit. James Stock. Stock. And why is it James Stock, Scott? No idea. Come on. Come on. Think. Oh, my God. Hey, this of, quote. Of, of the hey, Financial McCurdy. Times. McCurdy, motherfucker that knows everything about every movie. No, 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 no. Nobody answered. Scott, why is James Bond's name 
James Stock when he's writing for the London Financial Times. Can you can you answer this question? Crypto. Are you playing Dumb? Bitcoin? The name's Bitcoin Sinjin Smythe. <laughs> um, I don't know, James Stock. I think he made reference earlier in the movie about um. Oh my god! Are you playing dumb? <laughs> no, I really don't know. N- Nathan, do you know <laughs> stocks and bonds? Bonds and some bonds. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. That's beautiful. Hey. I we was, couldn't I have was, written I that. Was, part of me was kind of like, you know, I'm not really feeling this episode, guys, but that made it. That made the episode. Stocks and bonds. I'm not fucking 40. The rock salt. Um, something fun about that scene. Again, we keep talking about references to prior movies. He walks into the Sutton household thinking he's just going to catch her in the shower, much like Miss Anders, a.k.a. Miss Octopussy. And what's fun right there is that he walks into the bathroom and she's not there and she's in the closet behind him, loaded up the rock salt, ready to shoot him. Now, McCurds, let's get it out. You hate women. No, no, no. You hate uh, weak women? I don't know. You (laughs) You don't. Oh, I hate, I, you I hate don't like Stacy right. Sutton. Now you I don't like Stacy Sutton. Watch you two. You sexist. You just hate women. Nathan, in take a break. You don't, just well, sit I, back. I'll be honest. Just after rewatching this, this movie, I'll say this. I I don't. She doesn't. Um, I don't hate Weak her as much women. as I did. As uh, uh, who's well, she's good, got a backstory and everything. Good night. Right? Good head it was a good night, right? Good night. Yeah, yeah. yeah good night. Sorry. Good night. Good head was Moonraker. I don't hate her as much as Good Night. But I also don't think her performance is as bad. I do think that Tanya Roberts, even it's really hard not to think of Tanya Roberts and not think of uh, Midge from uh, uh, that 70s show because she her character is just very dumb and just very just a blonde. Mm-hmm. I really never watched the show. I mean, I, I, I have seen a couple. Of, like I, I know you're like a big fan shows. of it. So, yeah. like, I don't have that in my head. OK, that's funny. No, hang on. Hang on. That's funny, though. You talking about, though, though, what you talked about was like. Like uh, uh, casting for a purpose, right? And there, it is a reality that certain uh, casting directors and directors will be like, "Yeah, let's bring this person in who, who in people's minds, like it's like putting um, Roger Moore in Cannonball Run. It's like because he was already James Bond. Yeah. Let's, let's 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 cast like with a purpose her because she was this Bond character in that. So yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. let me point. Uh, okay, I'll say this. This is let me. This is my little bit about Tanya Roberts. Uh, rewatching this movie, I don't hate her as much as I thought I did. I don't think she's that bad. Um, I think hmm. she does fall into the category of bad Bond girls, but she's not like the worst of the, she's not the bottom of the barrel for me now. I think okay. it's just mainly what it is, is it, it has more to do with performance and whatever character or job you associate with that performance. So if you have a character like Miss Goodhead, who seems like a competent woman who knows how to do her job, she's a CIA, but she's also a scientist. Like, she seems like she like she can perform her performance is like, oh, yeah, I, I could see her being a scientist. She, she seems like a smart person. Scott's falling asleep. But then <laughs> get a character. And, and oh, we'll I'm see sorry. this in other. We'll see this in other other. He's movies fantasizing later on about. We'll, we'll see this in, but my point is, you'll see this in other movies down the road, but you'll see characters the way what those characters are, their occupations are and what they're supposed to do. And then the way that they're performed don't necessarily match up 
It's not every Bond girl, it's some Bond girls. And I think those are the ones that tend to be on the weaker sides. I should note that Tanya Roberts was nominated for a Razzie. And if you don't know what the Razzies are, they're like hmm. the anti-Oscars. The movie, the worst movies. <laughs> what? She was, she was nominated for a Razzie for this particular movie. I don't think she's terrible, terrible, but she has her moments. But it's like... Okay, okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. My question to you is... Do you because so far you have a track record of not liking any Bond girl who isn't perfect. She isn't completely competent. So let me just say this. When it comes to the Bond girls of this particular movie, you have Stacey Sutton, who is she's just a geologist and she's put in these incredible circumstances where suddenly she's working beside, you know, the bulldog of the British government and suddenly expected to do crazy things like survive an elevator fire and then drive a fire truck. But she is smart. She's clearly smart, but she, um, and she you has know, like, she, yeah, she, she has says, one really she, good scene. She says she, a lot of times she'll say James, like she yells for James yeah. a lot. James! 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 Oh, James. That's because she's like put in these extraordinary circumstances, yeah. and again, she's in it's a like burning out, it's, elevator. It's, it's, yeah, yeah it, it's but it's out of fashion for a woman to <laughs> scream for a man's help today. But this is again, this is James it's Bond not, we're talking about. James Bond is highly I, I, competent I get in dire circumstances. I'm saying, but I'm then, more but hang on, hang on. But then, but then, but then, Stacy though is just forced into these things where she's like, she's she's clearly. She's like the definition of a sheltered child. She's like, yeah, my grandfather was rich. My daddy yeah. was rich. And then I was expected to take over the company. So I went to school. Like she hasn't been through anything like this. She even wears high heels to the city hall as she normally does. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to her having high heels through the end of the movie, which is like the worst thing to be wearing. But that's just what she had on at the time because she didn't expect to run into Max Zorin. At the other end of that, though, is... Mayday and Jenny Flex. Like you have these chicks who, you know, whether they're genetically modified or not, they are like highly capable and could just kill you with their pinky or whatever. So my whole th- my argument every time you and I go into it about whether or not this Bond girl is good or that Bond girl is good, my whole thing is like not all of them need to be like super crazy ultra capable i mean your arguments with good night were totally valid my whole counter argument was she's just unlucky she's ju- she's like competent but then super unlucky whereas with this she's competent but she's like i'm way in over my head yeah. i don't know i just I, thought this not, guy was I, a writer yeah, for the newspaper but, yeah and i'm not disagreeing with you because again like this is re-watching the film because i've watched all these movies you know and like you you and i have watched these movies dozens of times it's just like re-watching it this time keeping that in mind i'm like she really isn't as bad as i imagined when i first was yeah. watching the movie she has her moments she even physically fights zorn at the end and she knocks out scarpine yeah <laughs> yeah she's not the one but i just there's times when i'm like not the best actress, but it's it, yeah. again like I the character's written well enough that I'm great. like I don't completely hate her when she's on screen. Mm. She's not my favorite part of the movie, but it's not. It, it's like just kind of like eh, it's fine. It works. I don't yeah. hate it. It, it versus Good Night, where it's just like I, I wanted to gouge my eyeballs out every time <laughs> I saw her. Just um, kill or, her, you know. The, and then there's times when uh, you know who was it in you know much as like Naz, Nans didn't like. Um, 
who was it? Trace or Tiffany Case in yeah. in uh, Di- Diamonds Are Diamonds, Forever. It's just she's yeah. somewhat obnoxious, competent but obnoxious. This yep. movie, it's like she's somewhere in the middle. It's like she doesn't really bother me that much after watching it a second time. I'm like, she gets one like clear scene that she's like some has something to do with geology, where you're like, okay, she understands her job. If they go off. Both faults move at once. When we get later down the road, though, it just really comes down to performance. And can they play that that occupation off well enough that you believe it? And like there are two I, I think you and I agree. There are two performances down the road that you both are like, yeah, I'm a nuclear physicist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. single point you of know. her strength in this movie is pulling a five million dollar check out of her bag. Ripping it up. It's a good moment. They have. I'd sell everything and live in a tent before I give up. Forget the rest. Forget physical strength. It's psychological. That's also when she falls in love with Bond. And the way you handle those men. Well, those, uh, <laughs> baboons could come back. Hmm, I hope not. Again, she's in high heels and she's kind of dainty, but at the same time, when it's between her grandfather's ashes and helping out Bond, she smashes it on on the guy's head, and like that's a that's a good moment for her. And then she's this, this she's like very like, feminine, yeah, but then she but she always comes through. My response is okay. I just I don't know why you it's hate fine. women so much, McCurdy. <laughs> okay anyway okay guys moving um, on based on everything y'all have been saying i think this is going to be a, a one-sided battle and by one-sided i mean it's like it's like a if i could put in that little screen from mario party one versus, <laughs> one three. versus three yeah like <laughs> i'm worried char's gonna put it high because he's saying it's like goldfinger but fixes stuff well okay okay <laughs> And we have Goldfinger I, at the top. Stuff. I will always say that Goldfinger has shortcomings, but I don't think it ruined. I mean, there's a reason why Goldfinger's at the top. It's still, it's still fucking Goldfinger. Even though everything that makes Goldfinger less than perfect, this fixes it. But that doesn't mean it's at the top of the list. But I think I am going to put it higher than you guys because I do. As I said, as as uh, uh, John Glenn goes along, he's slowly shedding the movies of the stupid shit, and he's making it a little classier. And I can, again, in the prologue, I can look the other way with the Beach Boys, and I can just enjoy it for what it is. And the car breaking in half, I can look yeah, those, the other way and enjoy it as it is. I don't think stupid. it's... I, but, yeah, those but, are big things in the movie. They're part they, of the movie. They stick those out. Those weigh into the movie. Sure, they weigh in. They weigh but, into but, the movie. But that's, that's why I'm not going to say it's number one. But yeah, um, but I'm not going to say it's number two or three or four. Okay, I no, like no, what no. you just said. No, I like what you just said. I like what you just said. You said I'm not going to put it at one or two or three or four. Or but that's Scott. why I'm putting at number right. five. Yeah, it's not a five. Okay, why? Tell me why this movie is not as good as Doctor No. Five. It's not as classy, and it has stupid, silly moments that really ruin the movie. I think I think this movie is better than Doctor No. 
I really do. I think this. I, I well, think let's ask the peanut gallery, Naz, and but and before Scott, we do, before we do, before we do, before we do, as we've talked about, leaning, like every time we always say the same thing about Doctor No, which is like, well, with with a small budget, they made a really classy story, and yeah, they did the same old tired argument, but we have transcended that at this point yeah and then i compare it to for your eyes only and honor Majesty's secret service and i'm like mm, i don't really see it i think it beats the for two of those only, i i think for your eyes only is still weighed down by the same old where goofy are sh- you putting it you haven't said where where are you putting it you haven't said yet so why don't you say first no you say first you cannot say you it's, said, it's let's worse go to than the octopus gallery though. There's no, no way it's worse than the peanut gallery. Yes, I don't think it's Make worse than the Make a goddamn octopus-y. statement, okay. bitch. Don't, Scott, shut up. Just make shut a up. statement. I don't think it's worse. I, I if totally you're agree. Call I don't us think the it's peanut gallery. Make a statement. I don't think it's worse than Octopussy. I think it's better than Honor's Magic Secret Service. I'll put it up for your under for your eyes only. Okay, but why? How is it? How is it worse than for your eyes only? I think For Your Eyes only has a much more interesting villain plot than this movie does. You guys said in that episode, though, that uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the Dove had a that he was a lackluster bad guy. Whereas, again, we're comparing this guy bad to guy. It's the plot of the two villains where you have. I mean, hey, you didn't get no heroin. No heroin. OK, so let just let me point out my general dislikes of this movie i think the overly silly stupid set pieces that are in this movie i pointed out the sub sub i'll give a pass beach boys needle drop the pair's half car chase scene which is kind of like why did it need to be half could have had that car chase scene without that and i still think it would have worked really well great the fire truck chase (laughs) in san francisco feels like something out of a comedy like cannonball run or blues brothers with the police cars conjoining and then the silly fire truck antics and then it crosses the bridge and all the police cars crash into it you could put a benny hill music under it uh, the salt rock scene is just kind of a silly scene just to have it in there. I mean, yeah, it talks about Tanya's character being in overhead, but like at the same time, it's like they weren't there the to kill her. guys had guns and they know James Bond's they there. They weren't there so to kill her. They, Max Zorn already knows who James Bond is at this point, so it just seems very... But he thought he was like dead. Thing. He thought he was dead. Tanya Roberts' performance is okay. It's not the best. Uh, and then again, I wish Zoran's motives worked better with the film. And then we haven't even really mentioned this, but Moore does okay. But again, it's like you look at him and you're like, you hang up the cape, dude. You hang up the cape. So that's Cannot. that's kind of where I'm at with this movie. You ageist son of a bitch. You were sexist and now you're ageist too. Uh. <laughs> so, Charlie, you're putting this above Dr. No. Yeah. At five. McCurdy, you're putting this. Below, below for, for your, your eyes, eyes only, only between seven honor majesty's secret service let me respond here basically for me i get all the same old arguments with dr no oh they had a million dollars and they made something that was great yeah i love dr no but at a certain point it gets surpassed right it gets mm-hmm. surpassed just almost like uh-huh. uh, almost almost by default yeah. just because this movie is is ultra competent Again, and this is coming on the heels of Octopussy, which is near impossible to follow. This movie's very easy to follow, and it and while it may be a, a Goldfinger ripoff, it's a ripoff in in a in in a fantastic way. I mean, it, nobody would really ever put together that information without really being told. Nobody would really pick up on that in the same way. But it all comes down to Max Zorn himself. He's a highly competent bad guy. 
Um, again, who doesn't just hire a million assassins to kill Bond? He legitimately does kill Bond, or at least he thinks so. But as I said before, he's a psychopath who just does whatever he wants. He's even defying the KGB. He's he's power hungry. He's not. It's it's it it it, it transcends a desire for money, and it just becomes this desire to literally take over the whole world because he's just like he's a bastard. He's just like a psychopathic bastard who was just created in a test tube, essentially. His dad is like a Nazi doctor. And do you guys not feel for uh, Mortner for like a second where he's like, Max, Max. And like Max is like ready to die. And he's like, no, my Nazi creation. Like, you know, in the same way that I felt bad for the the knife twins, you know, Mishka, you know, but 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 beyond that, though, it is a very competent film with very little to no offensive, stupid or goofy shit. Yeah, the Beach Boys. Yeah, I mean, and that's all I'll give you. The car ripping in half is enjoyable. The Beach Boys is like, okay, we're back to our slide whistle stuff, but it it's in the prologue and it's during like our millionth ski scene. Like, I I enjoy it. Like, I I like. Bottom line is the 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 slide whistle. I don't enjoy the Beach Boys. I enjoy. Um, it even has a little California Girls thing, and the movie takes place in California. Whatever. I'm not trying to give it a pass for Can that reason. Stop but it's like, folks, it has the slide whistle. Shut the slide up. whistle, though, say, and, the, and, and Double Take Pigeon say something, though, which is like, why did you do that? Why? Just for so like, would you an not audience reaction. Put this hang above on. The man with Fucking, the golden gun. So, so with, with, with all that in mind, the overall bad guy plot is great and makes sense, and you can easily follow it, and the whole time it's Bond trying to figure out what he's trying to do. Silicon Valley, and everything in it smokes forever. If it happened at the peak of the spring tide for maximum effect... Well, that's today at 9.41, in less than an hour. He's like, holy shit, we have an hour to stop this. Like, the whole movie is Bond investigating what is main strike, just like Grand Slam. What is main strike? He figures it out last minute as he's trying to stop it. And then you inject Mayday, who gets betrayed, and she has her great little redemption moment there. Get for it for me! The movie is so much more competent than pretty much every other Roger Moore movie and has, like a couple of things that triggers are like, it's goofy, you know, but those things are not poison pills that ruin it. At the end of the day, you still have this great bad guy whose motivation is just psychopathic world domination and not, not, he's not a normal person. He's, he, he has this really interesting backstory that legitimizes his being a psychopath. Octopussy dragged on past its climax, whereas this has its, climax of mayday blowing up the bomb and then right away we have our our golden gate showdown and it doesn't take 20 minutes it's just max goes out and fights them and it was set up that max is a bit of a fighter but bond bests him quickly and then he faces down mortner and then it ends it's not like live and let die where the bad guy's death is a, a giant fart balloon the offensive goofy stuff is so early on that it's not a poison pill. So for me, it 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 rises above Doctor No's perfect simplicity. So you would put Scaramanga above Zorin. I would. Okay. Do you want to put it surprising. higher? 
I don't know. I heard a lot of very similar points in your argument there for both. I have such a Scaramanga uh, man with the golden gun boner, but I think if you two would kill, that would be your one. Only to only this point, one right? is missing a third nipple. Yes. Yeah. Charles man of the but golden I see gun. Very similar number one qualities for you between so both. From Russia with love is at our list mm. as it is now, and my personal list from Russia with love is like my golden child. I okay. I want to f that movie. I have. All right. <laughs> Back when Naz. it was a VHS, Naz. when it became a DVD, it was a little All bit right. harder. And then with streaming, it's re- you just can't, you just can't anymore with streaming. <sighs> At least right. back in the day, you had the 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 cardboard sleeve from the VHS, so you could you could just crumple could, it like, up and put your dick in that. Stick a Chromecast up your butt, or like. <laughs> anyway, I went on long enough. Um, where are you guys at? Give me numbers. Uh, I'm trying to remember where. Okay, I would. So I think. McCurdy, why do you look depressed again? McCurdy. He always looks depressed. Right? Go on and on for McCurdy. Like an hour and we've already heard yeah. all these points. And now, now I've lost track entirely. <laughs> and I'm like, I heard this before. It doesn't really change my view so, on the movie. McCurdy, you have this, <laughs> this number seven. Still has a lot of stupid <laughs> McCurdy, stuff. McCurdy, like, you have this number seven, dude. Okay, you're like, two I things. Charlie, Charlie, it has two you have things. Two things it's got Beach Boys in the opening, and then it has a car that breaks in half. That's it's really enjoyable. Car breaks in half. Fire trucks through San Francisco. Yeah. Tell really me though about the fire truck scene. though. Why is the fire truck so horrible? It doesn't horrible? belong in a Bond movie. Like, do Why? you not understand that? Why? Do you yes. not get that? Do you, does it just like, do you watch it and you're just like, we went from cool ass car chases or to like guys chasing down when shooting with guns mm. to like a fire truck being chased by police cars. That's the movie now. Why? Why is that so? Like this. Like it felt so so much like because it feels so much like diamonds are forever. Like we're gonna chase cars now, and then we're gonna do weird car flips that we screwed up. But you, you love you, you and I both love uh, Sergeant Pepper. So what's Sergeant Pepper's an interesting, funny character. And then you and have cool this, yeah, and then you have this that, fat cop that was who's like, practical. "You're under arrest." Like it makes sense this that they like, would try to arrest this Bond, is a car and then they flub it. With a, like, why is it so bad Sergeant that Bond want to be? And like antics with like, <laughs> why, like driving this mm-hmm. car and like, yep. it's just stupid. Totally. Why? I, I don't understand how yep. you're not like. Yeah, this is pretty dumb. I don't know why they Absolutely. put this in the movie. The well, only okay. reason I could see them I putting it in the movie is they're like, oh well, the the we'll have the fire chick. Go to the mine, and then mm-hmm. that ties the scenes together. I'm like, great. I don't uh-huh. care. Okay, had there yeah. been a Ferrari there for Bond to steal, I would have been like, well, yeah, dude, take the Ferrari and not the fire truck. But if the, he, the fire he truck uses the fire truck to blow the cop away. Very stupid. And then they jump in the fire truck, and I then at the, that I point, get, I mean, you don't uh, have to like, convince okay, me on you, the writing if, or, but or how if you it fits if you brought up the stunt coordinators though, and the stunt coordinators are like, hey, yeah, let's do a fire truck and let's have Bond hanging. And I've seen, you know, I've seen a better version of this in a comedy called Blues Brothers, where you know it's hundreds and hundreds of cop cars chasing after one like unmarked yeah, top amazing. car and then crashing yeah. into each other and it's yeah. it's amazing and it's great and but, it's in a comedy specifically this though like not what a comedy is, it like, should be an action film it's and like that's a, what drives it's like me a, nuts it's like a two three minute chase scene where bond's in a fire truck it's and the most he, to me it's bond, like one but, of the most memorable okay, scenes but, in the movie but let's but let's go through it why is it stupid though you, you haven't really said you're like well it's because like some cops get tied together it's like okay they get tied together and then they run into a sign and they split apart it's like the a, cops are made to gag. look. It's like, oh, we can do this funny thing with the cop cars. Let's put the two cop cars together. Well, that's funny. Yeah, well, they crash great. into each other, and then that leads it's to them silly. crashing and all that. It's 
silly. It's something you would see in a Looney Tunes cartoon. What, what do you mean? Like they they crash into each other and then they get linked and then they're like, Fuck, our cars are it's something you would see in a Looney Tunes enjoying. cartoon. This goes back to my belief that like us just ranking these movies based on like serious to goofy is boring. Having a scene where Bond runs from the cops. We've seen that before, like in, in, um, uh, in Diamonds Are movies. Forever. We've seen it Diamonds Are Forever and we've seen yeah. it in uh, Live and Let Die. I know that. But so in like, this particular movie, it's now it's now a comedy chase scene. It's and what's wrong cro- with that? What what's so offensive about Bond running from the cops? And because I thought we were past all that. By this point, I'm like, yeah, I thought we got some serious action films, but we don't. What would be more serious? Like like okay, if you got rid of the goofy stuff from the cop chase, what would you get rid of? The I two get, cars getting linked. I'd get rid of that. I'd get rid Why of. Why is that so goofy? Car, like the car coming down and then sliding into all the other cop cars. Why is that goofy? Why it are those is... two things goofy? The goofy stuff is the cop who's like, oh, like that's that's the goofy performance. But overall, oh, the even, action hold on, hold isn't on, goofy. Hold on. We didn't even mention all like the funny tidbit moments with that scene, like like the like, fat cop. The ladder comes over to the two cowboys in the car, and then their hats come off, and they're like, "What?" And then you also have the scene with the. Uh, but the why trailer, is that offensive? The people in the trailer in the back seat. It's not offensive. It's just I mean I mean, I mean offensive silly. so long as you're it's so far funny. as like your your goofiness what, what, radar it's, goes. It's, like why are those every bad? scene is meant for laughs. It's not a movie. It's just like okay, well, now this is what the movie is. It's it's I, and that's I'm what I mean because it's not this. like crazy serious. Why is that such a bad thing? Because the movie has a v- serious like villain. Like it undermines that whole I, like that whole great thing you were talking about. How Zorn's this really cool villain. And then yeah. you have this silly chase scene in the movie. It undermines that. Like, I don't, I don't understand know how you so. not see that. I mean, how do you I, not I, I see get that, it. I, that I get, silliness undermines it. Like when it's Moonraker and it's totally absurd, that's one thing. But the the tone of this, it's just it's a scene with a bunch of cops that want to arrest him wrongfully. It's not like he can shoot them. So they entertain you with all these stunts and stuff and him like busting up the whole city. I just... I just don't see it as goofy as you see it. It happens well before Zorin has his whole dive into the deep end. So I just, I just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't hit me as the goofiest thing in, in this series. It's totally different from the rest of the movie. It's like, why are we putting this in the movie now? And it's, uh, come on. It's a silly premise. I, like, I get what you're saying, but it it's doesn't go so written as a silly far. Premise. What if Bond had to take a fire truck? What great scenes could we do with that? And then every single scene with that is is just humorous. It's just silly. I'm somewhere it's between you two, but definitely closer to McCurdy. I don't like that. It's definitely a silly scene. I dislike every movie that has a <laughs> cops being dumb scene. I mostly agree with McCurdy. It's it's it hasn't changed in the last hour or whatever. <laughs> I agree with a lot of McCurdy's points and just to a slightly lesser degree do I find some of the stuff he finds offensive offensive and that's I think probably all it comes down to for why I'm a bit higher than him. Give me please for the love of god give me a hook. I just I need 
I need something to convince me that Doctor knows better other than nostalgia. It just sounds like nostalgia. It's like, not nostalgia. Oh, man. it's great. Like it's like Sean Connery. And I also and point out, like, he says point Bond, James like, Bond. This movie, like Doctor No, is, and I've said this before. The first six Bond movies are Bond's movies. Like those are mm. the pure Bond films. Every movie after that is either retread. Or trying to to do something. Yeah, this movie's Goldfinger, but it's not. This movie's not this like movie's trying to be something. It's not. It's it's like a re, it's and... a remake of Goldfinger, but it's a pretty great remake of Goldfinger. Hold on. Yeah, I want Scott to say why he thinks this movie is better than Doctor No, because from my my point of view, and this is why I have I'm having trouble with what this is that I feel like Charlie, you've made a lot of great points. You're weighing in a lot of the arguments. Nans is listening to my arguments and be like. You make some good points, but Scott, I feel like just wants to go home and be upset. And I can't tell if that's what he wants or he actually agrees that Charlie's right. So my point is, what does Scott actually think of this movie? And why do you think it's a better movie? Dr. No is old. Again, but it, in, we, it, we were there what you think earlier. About Dr. No. It's do you old, really think, do you really think in your heart of hearts? Old bad that, guy. No, yeah, in my heart. Make and good hearts. arguments. Of make my good arguments. Heart Don't hearts. Do you really go away and you're like, man, yes. A View to Kill is such a better movie than a yes. film that like helped yes. establish a yes. classic character? Because and did it's a really old and it's it. simple and it's boring. Like Goldfinger's old. It's too, too good. But it's it's better. too good. It's, Sorry. Goldfinger's it's at great. The top. It's fucking brilliant. McCurdy, you want to know my opinion? It's fucking brilliant. Okay, but what it's specifically? Old, and it's boring. But specifically, Scott, it's what is your argument? It's old and it's boring, like, McCurdy. Shut up. Why do you it's like old A View to Kill more than Dr. No? It's what old and it's to boring. A... Charlie, That's... is it working? It's boring. Scott, Charlie, listen. Is it, is I think it here, down, this is what I'm going to tell you. Charlie, you don't this is what I'm going to tell you. Oh, no, no, no. For the sake of no, time. No, no, and no. No. argument. You want to hear my opinion, McCurdy? Shut the fuck up shut you're doing your the mouth. same thing you did back you're doing the same thing you did back in goldfinger shut your mouth make good arguments shut your mouth make good arguments shut your mouth there shut your fucking mouth there <laughs> you're turning no, italian no, no. because you asked for my opinion english your mouth shut your mouth shut your mouth because at, when no, I asked you, I didn't bring up booze at all it's hi Hey, uh, things got so heated there, we all had to go change our shirts. <laughs> and Nathan died. So, yeah. Yeah. Took his own life, um, tragically. Uh, the, the, the vote was a little off balance, so Scott went and murdered Nathan. <laughs> so we decided that uh, A View to a Kill is better than Dr. No by way of vote. So McCurdy's been edged out. Goodbye. <laughs> Kidding. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we, we took, we took a couple days off to go rewatch these movies so that we could have a better idea of, <laughs> because after, after hour, after probably three hours of yelling at each other, we didn't come to a conclusion. So right now we're coming to a conclusion. I'm just going to start with a little opening statement. And then I actually reached out to, uh, you people, you find folks on Reddit and YouTube. I'm just going to read through some of your comments and then, uh, we're going to settle this. So, um, Without further ado, my opening statement so far, really, the only argument that anybody's made in favor of Dr. No is that it's just so simple and simple and simple. It's simple. It's so simple. And I get that. And that argument made sense back when it was 
Thunderball versus Dr. No, but that was because Thunderball was obviously leagues beyond Dr. No so far as plot and action was concerned, being the fourth film, having more money, whatever, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, it had these weird plot conveniences and overly emphasized this spectacle over the story, and that's why we ended up putting Thunderball below Dr. No, and Largo weighed in on that too. Again, bad guy argument. It was bigger, but not better. But when it comes to A View to a Kill, it doesn't have those plot conveniences. It actually has a really solid plot with a great bad guy, great henchman, a great bad guy plot. And I'd say a better Bond girl overall, even if that Bond girl is Jenny Flex or Mayday, because you hate Tanya Roberts or whatever. The question is whether or not a couple of Roger Moore era goofs are enough to ruin the entirety of A View to a Kill versus the simple perfection and low-key classiness of Dr. No, which, again, was pretty much everybody's argument. And I get it. Dr. No's fantastic. For me, it mostly comes down to Zorin versus Dr. No. You have Zorin himself, who they began investigating from the get-go because of his connection to the Siberian microchip pulled off of 003. And he's winning these horse races with inferior breeds, raising questions as to how he's pulling that off, which leads Bond to investigate his stud farm, where he finds Mortner's lab and the microchip horde and discovers who Mortner is, that he's an ex-Nazi geneticist that experimented on concentration campers. Yes, I just said concentration campers. Um, so our, so why, our why, horse do, why do people watch this show? Why, <laughs> yeah. why, why do they watch this show? Good morning, <laughs> concentration campers. <laughs> okay. Okay, sorry. Hang on. My what activities do we have today? <laughs> I've heard all day. <laughs> sorry. sorry. We're, talking about actual, we're, we're talking about actual Nazis. Okay, we're not. Nazis. We're not Nazis. <laughs> We're Nazis. We're Nazis. <laughs> so our horse plot directly plugs into the backstory of Zorin himself when we come to realize that he's in fact a genetic experiment gone wrong by Air Mortner. And that he's also a KGB agent run by our favorite Gogol, you know, because... Operation Paperclip, we all know these things, that the Nazis were split up between the Americans and the Russians, whatever Nazi scientists they could get their hands on, they would, and so he ended up with the with the KGB, with the Russians, and then Mortner moves him and, and Zorin uh, out of Berlin and over to, the, you know, he basically is planted into the UK. It's a really interesting backstory versus Dr. No, who's just like a guy. We come to know who and what he is specifically by way of investigating this whole microchip thing, thereby organically incorporating his backstory into the overall plot. Then throw in Mayday and the other henchmen who may or may not be genetic experiments gone wrong themselves. Then throw in Stacy and the fun action sequences, which get goofy, but never stupid like the gondola. And I still enjoy them and don't feel anger at watching them like the uh, like the gondola. And so overall, you have a really big and enjoyable film that easily trumps the simplicity and connery classiness of Dr. No, which is literally all anybody can say about Dr. No is like, yeah, but when Bond says Bond, James Bond, and it's great. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I get that. But like story wise, they're night and day. Again, I wanted to put for your eyes only above Dr. No, but we all agreed that it had a bit of a convoluted plot and still suffered from early Roger Moore era wacky assassins and chase scenes that undermined the plot. To put it below Dr. No, but with this, it doesn't have those things. It just has some goofy moments. Again, Roger Moore era goofy moments, but not enough in my book to sink below Dr. No 
which is rudimentary and prototypical at this point. That doesn't mean it's bad. It simply goes back to my overall argument that A View to a Kill isn't only bigger, it's also better and more enjoyable. But overall, this is an argument of style versus story, and story will always be the end-all be-all for me. And to bring it over to McCurdy, I just have one question. If the Beach Boys needle drop, the half-car chase, and the fire ladder scene were excised, would you still hold Dr. No above A View to a Kill? Um, it's a good question. It would, it would make my argument harder to, to make, but I'd also say that, uh, for some other points after I watched the movie, Dr. No, a second time, I was like, no, there's other things that I'd missed the first time. Like I, it's been a while since I watched it. So rewatching the movie, I was like refreshed on some things that I was like, oh, I forgot about these things in Dr. Mm. No that I actually really like. Um, so I don't know if that would sway my argument enough, but uh, which I get, things, I get again, like Dr. I Knows said awesome. before, and I've reiterated this point multiple times, is that tone does matter with these movies, and if you're going to try to make a serious Bond film with, with 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 like you know you bring in the Nazis concentration camps, uh, like those types of things should warrant it to be like, oh, this should be a serious Bond movie, but. But it's not like I mean, we go to the concentration camps. It's not like I'm we're not in saying there. It does, but you're like, you know, you're, you're, it's just like, again, all these movies. You wanted this movie to be more Schindler's List? No, I never said that. Nathan couldn't join us, uh, but he prepared a statement that McCurdy is going to read. Okay. So me as Nance, this is what Nance had to say. I didn't get a chance to rewatch A View to a Kill, but I did watch Dr. No. It just reinforces my feelings. So what I said previously still stands. I thought A View to a Kill was okay, but not better than Dr. No. I did enjoy the car chase, but not the fire truck chase scene, which we had talked about at length. Yep. While the plot bad guy scheme is good, it's recycled if uh, it's recycling if Goldfinger not necessarily bad to do, but not great either. Max Zorin as a character is cool, and I like Christopher Walken's portrayal, but I wish we got more of this backstory involvement with the KGB. Like I said, before, uh, this is me interjecting. I do feel the kind of the same way. There's a lot of tell, don't show. It, it, and there's a lot of tell, don't show and Dr. No, but I'll, I'll get to that. But yeah. I think the, the issue I have is more, if you're going to introduce Russia and the KGB into your story, it better have a purpose other than to give backstory. And I just feel like it's missing a little something there. And we literally have a scene of the Russians trying to take him out, but like, it kind of ends in like a, you know, a like a purposeless hot tub scene followed by uh, the, our goofy like who um, <laughs> moment. You know, I get that. The argument could be made that the Russia stuff intertwines at the very end when Gogol says, oh, my interests are also I don't want I didn't want, you know, Silicon Valley to be destroyed because we mm. rely on American ingenuity. And like you could make that argument, but like it, it just doesn't feel strong enough in my vote. Anyway, back to imagine going. Uh, sorry, real quick. Imagine going uh, like behind the scenes back in Moscow, and 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 there's some scene where they're talking about how Max Zorin is a problem, and we got to get rid of him, and like, like even something of all the like previous that films where fun. we've had Russia more involved with what's yeah. going on. Why are we back and forth between Russia's dealing with and the Americans are dealing with it? You know, like, but that's just not there. I th- okay, so back to Nathan's statement. I think Max Zorin is a good bad guy, better bad guy than Doctor No. I think Max's plot is more interesting, but I think maybe some uh, pints need to be deducted. Points. I think he's saying points need to be deducted 
for it being unoriginal? Question mark. Right. We discussed some silly things in A View to a Kill, bringing it down. And Charlie argued Three Blind Mice was silly. I disagree. I think it's kind of sets the tone for being in Jamaica and also sets the audience up to have their expectations subverted. At the end of the day, I think the hook is James Bond. Beyond people have having preferences for one or the other, I think Connery kills it in Dr. No and War doesn't do as great in A View to a Kill. Connery's Bond is just cool and controlled and effective. Now, here's my statement because I did prepare. It's much longer, but it's Real more quick, in- though, uh, just before you jump into yours, um, I... It's not that I don't like the three blind mice. It's more like my whole point is, and, and, and I do the same with Goldfinger all the time. My point is that arguments about Bond always come down to goofy versus serious. And my, argu- my overall argument with that is that the world of James Bond is ridiculous. And every movie has something that's goofy about it, including Goldfinger. Uh, from Russia with Love, no. That's why it's such a... It's like the crown jewel for me. Um, uh, but but Goofy doesn't offend me horribly unless it's stupid like the gondola where it's purposeless and it's just there to be like, look what we did. But it's with no purpose and it's lame. And I, I think I think the argument can be made, though, and I think Nans and I both agree that there is a lot of what you were describing, but you don't it doesn't offend you. And that's where mm-hmm. I'm like, it offends a lot of other people and offends me. And I don't even like using the word offend. It's the just half car. Like if you enjoy it, like because if you enjoy the gondola moment, yeah. I don't know, you might be like high or something. But, yeah. But um, so, but the half car is is like the, it's the, enjoyable. I can't I, I call it a guilty pleasure, you know, sure. but I, I just don't want to discount. My whole philosophy is not discounting entire movies because they make one wrong turn. And we'll get to that with Daniel Craig. We'll get to that with Daniel Craig, because like eventually he's. There, there's, there are moments there's, that feel out of place because be it's said. so stark. It's yeah. so dark, stark, and depressing that any kind of goofiness um, is is a, is like eh? you know. But um, but I'm I'm okay with with like certain things being a little ridiculous. So so far as they kind of help the plot, and there's nothing in a view to a kill that kills the plot for me. In the same way that, as I pointed out in depth in For Your Eyes Only, the snow chase scenes, they undermine the plot. Again, it's like trying to be a smarter spy film. And instead, it's like, well, we have to have these chase scenes and they undermine the smart plot they're trying to play with. Whereas in this movie, the car chase with the cops, even if it gets a little goofy and you have your cop that's like, oh, man, you know, it's still it doesn't undermine the plot at all for me. So that's my piece. Um, uh, Go ahead. Okay, so Scott, shut the fuck up. <laughs> He's like, okay, okay, okay. Get so, a case. Get here's my case it. for Doctor No. And some of these, I think you kind of touched on or alluded to, and I could easily see where you're going to be like, oh, I don't agree with that. But this is here's my piece after yeah. watching Doctor No uh, yesterday and today, and just really kind of marinating and thinking about it. So when comparing these two films, the answer should be obvious. I've said my piece on why I don't think A View to a Kill is a great Bond film, but let me focus on the positives of its competitor in this argument. Why is Dr. No a better Bond film? As Scott would put it, better music, better girl, better villain, and yes, a better Bond. From the moment the movie opens, we hear our first rendition of the classic Bond theme that plays throughout the series of its original guitar riff. That is when it hits you. You're watching a James Bond movie. I unfortunately don't get that feeling when I watch A View to a Kill. While Duran Duran's song is a great song to sing while you're driving to the grocery store to pick up laundry detergent, it doesn't put you in the mood 
of a spy thriller with swagger and grit. And yes, you might be saying, yes, the Bond film, the Bond theme is in this movie, but I think more and more, more often than not, it's the Duran Duran theme, either in orchestral form or as actual theme, uh, than the Bond film. Uh, that's common. It is, but this movie, it's like, I I instantly watched Dr. No and I'm like, oh, I'm watching a James Bond movie. When I watch the last movie, I don't get that feeling. And let me, let me keep going. Ursula Anders' performance of Honey Rider may be dubbed and allocated to the second half of the movie, but her character, her performance, of course, her looks leave an image that you can't forget. When she gives her character's monologue on her life with her father and how she was raped as a victim in the only subtle way films in the 60s could, damn it, I believe it. And when she tells Bond she killed a rapist using spider venom and only in a matter-of-fact manner tells him that it, looks, it took him days to die, I believe it. And when she asks Bond if he has a girl of his own, right away we know what she's thinking, but more, than, more on this later. For some, she may only be eye candy and add an obstacle bonus for Bond in the end. Uh, what would a Bond film be without its gorgeous Bond girl? I can't really say the same for the late uh, Tanya Roberts. Yeah, she passed away. We didn't, when? I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah, she passed not very long ago. And while a character may be something to behold... And I'm talking specifically your character, and you made a lot of points about this. Her performance is more than on the side of obnoxious most of the time. Next, we have the titular character of the film, Dr. No, played by Joseph Wiseman. We've gone on lengths of Christopher Walken's performance and character of Max Zorin, but I beg to differ much with Dr. No. He's held an elusive mystery throughout the film. He's the hairy line to the third man. While we see Max Zorin do some pretty horrific things... Dead. No one was really that scared of him. Not like Dr. No. Every henchman of No's can't bear to live if they are caught failing. That only leads to the imagination of how terrible Dr. No really is. Dr. No sees his men as expendable, just as Max Zorn, but Wiseman's voice and presence lurks in your mind. Walk-in is walk-in. His voice has become a party trick to entertain friends. Hi, it's me, Christopher Walk-in. You know, I'm Fat Boy Slim. I like to dance. I like to move. Unless there's an uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass. But Wiseman's voice is spooky and dangerous. I think anyone can play manic and laugh at their demise, but I think it takes some craft and co- to conjure that what Wiseman's performance does. We may not care that much about his evil plot, and I beg the same for Zorin. But at the end of the day, Dr. No is what we expect out of a James Bond film, and Zorin feels like a corporate yuppie 80s villain. And then that leads to the fight between the Titans, Sean Connery in his first role of the character and Roger Moore on his last leg. If there's a hook, I think it is here. Connery is everything you want in a James Bond and everything you wish you aren't. He's cunning, witty, dangerous, gritty, and sexy. Every woman in this film has their eye on him and wants a piece, and we believe it. Moore is really hard to buy. While he gets in bed with a lot of women and he has his charm, it's hard to believe Moore pushing 60 could do all of this. He's better off buying an ice cream. Yes, well, you get your clothes on. I'll buy you an ice cream. Uh, the moment <laughs> the film introduces no Connery, the moment the film introduces is Connery as Bond, smoking a cigarette, playing Baccarat, and saying his infamous line, my name is Bond, James Bond, and the theme swells, we want to be this guy. He's f***ing cool. His back and forth wordplay with Dr. No, his smooth approach to getting into bed with Sylvia Tench, as well as other women, his unforgettable one-liners, such as, I think they were on their way to a funeral, don't let him get away, and you've had your six, third, I mean, yeah, it begs the word, it's iconic. But at the same time, and I'm going to drink to that. No, I'll drink for you. I will drink yeah. for you. Which, I didn't write this in there, 
but Roger Moore doesn't even have this in 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 there's there's nothing like that in this in the Roger Moore films. The pieces are kind of there for a view to a kill. And I don't and I don't discredit you for the villain or the plot, but I don't think that's the whole package necessarily, especially when we're talking about like what is the essence of a Bond film? What is that mm. uh guy with ice in his veins that you know you notoriously talk about? Like I just don't see it in this movie, and I think it's in Doctor No. That's a good point. That it's not like he like he doesn't in in again in Fear Eyes Only when he Sparta the guy off the cliff, you know, that's a, a good Bond moment. And and then again where you're like, Roger Moore didn't want to do it, and I'm like, Roger, yeah. you know, but yeah. I and and I and I, you know, rewatching Doctor No, and again, the funny the weird thing, and I'm about to read the comments from everybody online, and like the number one thing, the moment you express an opinion on a Bond movie in a critical manner, everybody's like you hate it. And it's like, no, <laughs> I, I can criticize it and we're, still love it. We're talking it, about two things know? we like, like we're yeah. arguing that. And which one's better? And everybody's like, no, you just hate, or even like, uh, uh, you only live twice being at the bottom. And everybody's like, you hate it. Like, no, it's just not as good as the others, but it's still on the list. In the same way that like, everybody ranking the Beatles is like, Ringo stars at the bottom. And I'm like, yeah, but he's still a Beatle, bitch. Yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> like, Ringo is awesome. Try being as cool as Ringo Starr in your entire life. Your entire sad, pathetic fucking life. Anyway, um, so uh, rewatching Dr. No, I'm like, I get it. It's so cool. Sean Connery is the man. Like I said, if he wanted to do butt stuff, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Um, one point we've made on bad guys in the past and actually have made with Dr. No, I think in comparison to Goldfinger when we were ranking those two. Um, I, I, once again, we've made the point. We like an involved bad guy, right? An active. Zorin is at least involved. I'm not saying Dr. No is not involved. And I do love that overhanging, you know, Blofeld esque darkness that you alluded to McCurdy that he has that everybody's terrified of him and you know we don't see him for four fifths of the film people are willing to up. kill themselves rather than uh this what he's doing and, and yeah. he's always alluded yeah. to and talked about but never seen which I think yeah. is but, and, and I still like from that a movie, but I still from a movie standpoint I think that does something to the film overall it's not something that's like of course and, I, you know, I was I was a very big proponent about, like, active bad guy. East, west, just points of the compass, each as stupid as the other. I'm a member of Spectre. Charlie, you had said that, like, well, Dr. No is just a guy. And I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> because Dr. No talks about, like, this is in the thick of, again, it's the thick of the Cold War as it's just beginning. And he's a German, he's German and he's Chinese. And he knows that he's not going to be welcome to either or. So he's just... Yeah. It, his character in itself is somebody who's torn apart by two different cultures, the East and the West. What he says, and he's so, like, nobody would bring me to either one. So I joined yeah. Spectre. So he joined Spectre. It, yeah. like, but then he's like, so his character, and that's what I think is also missing with Zorin is Zorin is like kind of the same thing, right? Like Zorin KGB agent, but he's living in the West and he's, he's, you know, he's uh, benefiting from all of the capitalism and in free enterprise of, of, of our country. So you would hope that his character is like this, uh, middleman like he's gonna do something that's gonna hurt both and and but it's like it really feels more like it's hurting the United States more than anything else even though that like it's a line that's tacked on to the end where Gogol's like oh my interests are also your interest in that regard yeah. 
Uh, and so it's like, okay, but East, you know, like he has that line is like East and the West, it just points on the compass equally as stupid. And it's such a perfect line. And I'm just like, that's the character. Like that's the guy. And like, he says it with such like gravitas that I'm just like, this guy is, uh, this guy's a force to be reckoned with. And like, that's to me where Zorn is manic and very, uh, you know, he's zany and. And over the top at times, not all the time, but at times, Wiseman's performance is just even keel. So it kind of makes him scarier, in my opinion. In my, in my opinion. I would disagree in the point that bringing down Silicon Valley would just kind of only harm the U.S. or its allies. I would imagine that at the time, Silicon Valley probably provided a large majority of the world's chips, not just European or American. I think what the film's missing is if you're going to include Russia in the plot, it would have been better if his motivations at least had, had stemmed from the K, like something along the lines of like the KGB didn't, you know, accept me because I was a superhuman. The and and, you know, I don't even like the West either. So I'm going to utilize uh, my power that I've gained in the West to topple both Russia and the United States. And that's never really instated. And it's not necessarily like it's never uh, it's never stated and it's never alluded to in any regards. And so that's where I'm like, where Nans and I agree. It's like, I feel like that is underutilized. Like you could have done something more with that as your motivation. There's just something missing there. Not to say that like his plot and the way his actions work, because a lot of it's again, borrowed from Goldfinger. Uh, and, and I'm not going to say that Christopher Walken's performance isn't something to be like, boo, but it's just like, that's boo. the thing that's kind of missing for me. Boo. Boo. That's how he would say it. Boo. Boo. <laughs> I see your side there, McCurdy. I, I would say in the beginning, I think they tried to find something like that. I will agree. I don't think that they ever came to, you know, like a doctor, no, f- them, f- them, both sides type mm-hmm. conflict, like you said. I think they tried to allude to it in the beginning when they said that they found the, you know, the Russian chip and they were getting close to the same technology. Yeah. So is it the Russians trying to take this down so they can hold this technology, launch a nuke? take us out and they still have you know full operation of their systems but i do agree that was probably lost throughout the plot of the film yeah that was like touched on and then forgotten about <laughs> yeah if it, they it became more about more on that point then i think and that's that's also why i feel sense. like he feels more like a corporate yuppie villain rather than like and i think it's funny because you could make this you can make an analogy and now i'm going to say something somewhat political but bear in mind i'm talking <gasps> about the 1980s he no. very much like feels like a Donald Trump of the 80s, that corporate America type of person. And it's really mm. funny to me because like not that much longer in his career, he would play kind of a similar character in Max Streck in Batman Returns, where he also mm. tries to play like this Donald Trump type character. And I think he's just very good at doing that because he's yep. both, they're both from New York. They both kind of have similar accents. Um so, like, it's not to say that, like, I'm not trying to say something about Donald Trump's politics of current times, but it, I am like, saying that you're like, saying he's a he's a businessman and like, like he's out he's to, like to the, enrich himself. Yeah, it's like he yeah. was like the businessman of the time. And yeah. like that, he was very much in part of the iconography of the 1980s and the yuppie culture. And so it's like it's not it's not too far fetched to think that the writers were like, let's make this character like a Donald Trump type, much as like. Mm. They would be like today, and they kind of did this where they did Batman v Superman. They were like, let's make Lex Luthor a, a Zuckerberg type. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's mm. kind of that kind of thing to me. When it comes down to it, still, 
and I've done a lot of review of both films again since we've been away. I would still watch A View to a Kill over Dr. No. So I would still place it above it, but it's so, it really is so goddamn close. On that note, I think I would rather watch A View to a Kill than Goldfinger, but I can recognize that Goldfinger is a better film. And, he, and that's what I mean. It's like, that's why this is such a difficult task, because some things are enjoyable, and then other things you just know, like, okay, objectively, Goldfinger does a better job of this, that, and the other. Um, and again, I love Goldfinger. I, I don't, I, I, I have to say it because somebody's going to, in the, con- you just hate Goldfinger. It's like, no, but you know what I mean? Like it's called a guilty pleasure. And that's why for Scott and I, certain scenes don't ruin things. Cause it's like, whatever James Bond had, pulls a cool stunt on a snowboard and they bring in the beach boys. It's, it's, it's goofy, but it's fun. And that's why it's not offensive. But on, you know, on, on, a, on, on, I completely understand the argument. And, and again, we're arguing old Roger, the oldest Roger Moore versus the youngest Sean Connery and watching, rewatching Dr. No, I started to come around to that. I'm like, I get it. I get it. James Bond probably should be 30, 35 and you know, like whatever. And as we've said for many other films, I think, you know, you put Sean Connery in this film and it's, it's better. It's uh, how many times have we said that? What if we put, Sean Connery in this film, it'd be so much better. Yeah, if only Sean could be captured in a bottle and replicated so we could put him in every movie ever. And and in the future, we'll have the digital technology to just have Sean Connery star in every animated Bond movie going forward forever. Whatever. Okay, YouTube dudes. K1 says, Dr. No has a super tight script and is a great spy movie, but most of the Bond stuff hadn't been invented yet. A View to a Kill is a fun romp with all of the tropes, plus Walk-In and Mayday, but it's just Goldfinger with microchips. I see how they are contenders for this debate. Also, someone should drown all of Silicon Valley. (laughs) Uh, It sucks that I had to say that, because now this video's been banned. Thanks, K1. Murphy Chase says, I like both films a lot, but I'm going to have to go with Dr. No. I think A View to a Kill is super underrated and it's got a lot of fantastic elements, but Dr. No is still just such a rock solid and perfectly simple movie that in my opinion, only a few Bond films have risen above. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Alan Giles says, love them both, but I'd have to say Dr. No wins it for me. Simple, simple story, (laughs) but well told. And Connery nails the role from the word go. It's crazy seeing how much of the winning formula is there with the very first movie. I do think Dr. No himself is slightly overrated, though. I love A View to a Kill, as well, especially for the villains. But Dr. No is just pure Bond, and it holds up incredibly well, and my opinion on it has never really dwindled. In the grand scheme of things, I would probably place it just outside of the top ten. Ethan Toys, Dr. No is leagues better. A View to a Kill is good, but one of Moore's worst. A View to a Kill has bloated pacing issues, while if anything, Dr. No could have used an expansion on the final act if the budget were there. Rematch with the Dragon, Honey's Crab Torture, Obstacle Course, Bat Guano Mine, Giant 
squid fight from the novel. I'm reading it now. I haven't gotten to those things, but I'm suddenly really excited to read the book. Just to point out, I don't know if we did talk about this, but the part with the crabs was intended to be filmed. And then yeah. there was an issue filming it. But that and that's, was and that's that to his point. To like happening. if they were to make it now, it would probably have that. Yeah. Uh, Ethan continues. Um, a view to a kill like the man with the golden gun chooses to focus more on the villains. Although amazing protagonists at the expense of bond while the few moments bond does get are accredited to moore's stuntmen but that is more the editor's problem than it is moore's age a view to a kill gets better as it goes the paris chase horse race conveyor belt fight scuba scene lack fangs while the pts fire escape scene and everything following are top tier bond and a great send-off for more the shotgun fight would have been my fave part if it weren't if it weren't loaded with rock salt, I do not care about Moore's age and would not complain if he did one or two more, but you have salt. to address it. <laughs> Cut down on the crazy stunts and more Bond just wasting people a la Death Wish. Octopussy did this very well, which is true. I just really don't understand the hatred of the rock salt scene because that's part of Stacy. It's not like Bond pulled out a gun loaded with no, rock the, salt. The, I, think, I think for me at least was that he gets shot with the rock, the, the villain or one of the henchmen gets shot with rock salt. We already see that they have guns. And I know you pointed yeah. this out. They're like, well, there's after Stacy. And I'm like, yeah, but there's another guy there now shooting the rock salt guns and has a, you know, as the Walter PPK. And then it he gets up and he's just like, I'm not dead. And then, you know, yeah. the fact that you add that shot of him going, I'm not dead, you know, that just adds to the goofy and silly and over the topness of the film sure but the guys were there just to intimidate her not to murder them like, i don't care but like, like it works then fine you got, for me have a guy with a gun and it's like well then why aren't they using their weapons if this is what the scene is and then it just becomes a scene of antics and him you know be like oh i'm sorry grandfather and like it's just silly no she's a geologist rock salt makes sense and she's not trying to hurt anybody <laughs> no no, I won't uh, shut up. NACL. I, don't, I hate these parts. Sodium chloride. Um, okay, That's okay. The second worst thing you said tonight. Continuing. She's a geologist. I, rock salt makes sense. It does. How about just rocks? Not even salt, just rocks. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, Keep okay, going. okay. Sorry. Uh, moving to Reddit. Uh, Dominican Boy 2 says, I think Dr. No is the better film. I enjoy A View to a Kill as it is my guilty pleasure. Key phrase. But Dr. No is a solid film from start to finish that started it all. It's not played with any over-the-top moments or wacky gadgets. It's just pure spy espionage. True. A View to a Kill has its ups and downs, which makes it a fairly decent Bond film, in my opinion. I have it, I have it just about in the middle of my list. Bond 16 says, So since I've actually watched all your episodes and regularly commented on them, yes, Hi, I'm Nikolai. This is Nikolai Quack. What's up, Nikolai? <laughs> uh, let me express how butt insane you are for even considering putting it above Dr. No. I mean, it's bad enough that by knowing your ranking, I know it's going to go above OHMSS if you're considering this. But Jesus Christ, man. We get it, Nikolai. You and McCurdy can fuck off and go watch Secret Service and fuck each other's dicks like we get it. You want to put that at the top. It's fine. It's fine. But for the rest of us, it, it's like it failed to live up to what it wanted to do. I'm getting off topic. I love you, Nikolai. Uh, on a more serious non-rant note, though, Dr. No is superior in so many ways. It doesn't have a bizarre horse plot that leads nowhere. We've been through this, though. The horse plot directly plugs into 
Zorn's backdrop, and it uses the microchips. I haven't even touched on this, but he does make a point that the horse plot's like a thing that happens just to lead to like how does how does Zorin use the the thing? Oh, it's yeah. a microchip. And you're like, oh, it, it doesn't lead to the end of the movie or anything. The only, I get the that. only other thing is that like, or at least the information that we get from that is that Zorin is is paying off what's her face. And so we learn that new information and then she comes a part of the plot. But like outside of that, or has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It's just, oh, microchips. It's the funding. It's a means to funding his operation. He's the outstanding horse of the sales. He'll be shown last. We expect him to fetch over $3 million. The discovery of the horses and how they're breeding the horses leads to Mortner, which literally leads to where he came from. Zorin is a horse, like, figuratively I, speaking. He's one it. of Mortner's I, breeding horses. I get that, but, like, a better movie would have led led that to being, like, a, oh, this is a part of the, like, I feel like the, the horse plot or how he, whatever he does with the horses, like, wouldn't that make me feel like, oh, well, maybe a part of his plan is creating super serums like super soldiers or some kind of super serum. But we don't really get that. And that's where I'm like, there's something that could have been there. And I know like I know okay, like instead of a the Zeppelin, Marvel they should have the, the horse race should have been the end of the movie instead of a Zeppelin. Or something. <laughs> but I'm just saying I'm just saying that, like, I, I know, like the Marvel films have probably covered the super soldier serum like, you know, to death now. But like there is that little bit of like, OK, we've we've done this thing to the horses that we've made these, these really good horses. And we have this special device that we put in them and all this other stuff. And I'm like, that could have been used other parts of the film. And we just never saw that. Like had, had bond faced off against somebody who was just like an ordinary person. And all of a sudden now they're super strong. Like, and he's like Mortner the at the end, like pulls out the serum horse. and like injects it into his neck. Yeah. And then or he's something. like, I will avenge I Max. Goofy. Max. Max. Yeah. Something, you know what I mean? Like it could have, it could have added to the film. And then the fact that you have his sure. age lurking there too. I mean, like I'm touching on things that, that is very much in the Cap captain America films, yeah. but like, you know, you could have alluded more to like, oh, Connery's old now or not Connery, sorry, Moore is old now. And like, he can't put up with these other guys. Roger Moore like injects this. himself with the serum. <laughs> and then in the next movie, he's Timothy exactly. Dalton. Uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm young again. Like every, every, every so often, uh, the, the old Bond actor injects himself and then suddenly he's replaced with a young actor. <laughs> Now saying I'm Pierce it, Brosnan. I will say that. I will say this. Saying it out loud does not help. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Nikolai continues, aka Bond 16. You've been you've been you've been doxxed, Nikolai. Um it doesn't have a Bond actor so old that he wouldn't do any of his own stunts anymore. The only solid thing it has going for itself are Mayday and Zorin, and that's just not enough. Sorry. Doctor No is a better movie and a better Bond movie. Totally can see that. Spockadile says, I still think Dr. No holds up as a better story. It's a little slower, as one might expect, given it was a low-budget movie in 1962 compared to an established adventure franchise in 1985. However, I kind of dig the slow detective-style writing. Generally, these are both movies that I've grown to appreciate more lately in different ways. Dr. No for a well-written spy adventure movie and A View to a Kill for a wacky Roger Moore movie that's ripe for drinking games. Dr. No is 15 in my personal rankings. A View to a Kill is 17, so I understand how you think it's a tough call. ATW1221 says, Dr. No for sure. Sean Connery just personifies cool throughout the film, without a doubt. Dr. No himself is a top five villain for me. 
And other than the lack of gadgets, it's amazing how much of the Bond formula this first installment created. There's even a car chase with an explosive finish. Which is goofy. I mean, it's like, it. if that scene didn't have, well, I think they're on their way to a funeral. I, it it would have been ridiculous. It's worth it for that moment. But like the first chase scene ever, they literally just turn off the road and immediately explode. And like whatever you know. But it's, well, it's like it's, it's he he yeah because the there's a thing in the way and so he's able to navigate under. He goes under uh, it the crane, and they can't. And they so can't, they just so they're turn. like and then they turn. Uh, it's like and I, and I give whatever. It, I'll give you that because I was gonna talk yeah. about it. Then I was like, yeah, the chase scene's yeah. not the best in the Bond series, but it's like again, I can I can I a little bit knowing knowing the history behind the movie, I'm like, it's not. A, it's not a spy who loved me they don't have yeah. a supercar whatever they don't have the budget to afford this crazy chase scene which yeah. i'm sure the chase scene in the car alone cost the same amount as the whole movie yeah uh for dr no you know what i mean so it's like yeah. i i was like whatever but again like you said the connery looking over with that one-liner just yeah. without adds, it, it, it without it would have been terrible it like and made it's like that it, scene it's yeah, those yeah. moments though that are throughout that movie that yeah. like are Again, Roger Moore in, doesn't in, have a Bond Roger joke Moore. in this one. That breaks my heart. Yeah. So yeah. okay. Anyway, he lacking. continues. It's definitely lacking. Yeah. He continues. A View to a Kill, on the other hand, has great villains and a good pre-title sequence, but otherwise it's a real snooze. Stacy Sutton plays the most forgettable Bond girl in the series. Bond doesn't do much in the mines at all. Zorn kills most of his own henchmen. If you want to be objective about it, Doctor No is one of Connery's best performances. View to a Kill is one of Moore's lesser efforts. Zorn is a great villain, but Dr. No outdoes him. Again, that's like kind of our debate here. Uh, Honey Rider yeah. is one of the most recognizable characters in film, and certainly Bond movie history. Stacey Sutton is not. Um, that's, that's, there's that's, something that's I like wanted to iconic, add to that. That's like an iconic argument. Like, okay, but let, let me define something about iconic that we really have never touched on. Mm. And I think I kind of cemented it, it kind of cemented in my mind when we were, I was watching Dr. No. Because one of the things that really stuck out to me is how many times a character is introduced in Dr. No in such an image. Like, you're given an image when you see that character. Where A View to a Kill doesn't really do that at all. Like, we know who James Bond is by that point. We don't have, um, like, a Bakara scene no, in a but casino. Like, but, like, if you were, like, you can, like, instantly, like, you're like, oh, yeah, that. Uh, with And that's kind of defining the iconicness of the films but like yeah and that even goes double for goldfinger double for odd job but like in dr no the scene where we free center do sean connery that that image that clip of of on bond james bond has been used like thousands millions billions of times uh that, and not just that but not just that scene it's also like Honey Rider coming out of the water. She's given enough of a moment that it's like a, an indelible image in your head to be like, this is the character. And then we learn about that character. And like, we don't really get that in a view to a kill at all. And even Dr. No gets that moment. Soren's yeah. like in a boat and he's like, ha, ah. uh, Dr. No. It's like, we lead up to le seeing what Dr. No looks like for the first time. And even to like seeing his hands and his, or you see his feet at first. And then we see his hands and we know his hands are deformed. And then finally we see his image and we're like, oh, this is Dr. No. It like yeah. they build that up. Whereas like Zorn, it's just like this is Zorn, you know, yeah. same with Bond, same with Stacy. There's just nothing that really grabs your attention. Well, I'm the guy who made the case that your Bond intro, there's so much you can do with that. And with this one, it's literally just like, oh, there's Bond. He's skiing. Yeah. It's kind of like you're writing a paragraph and you don't like you might have this really well written 
draft or a middle part of your body is like really great. Yeah. But like there's no intro to it. It's like, yeah, here's my thoughts and then draft. And like, sure. that's how I feel about a view yeah. of kill. And, and, and but, but my whole thing is like every pretty much every movie has that bonds in a casino gambling. And like, does every movie need to have that to be iconic? But but then, I mean, the counter argument to that is like, well, Charlie, what's iconic about this movie? And it's like, yeah, I don't know, the Golden, nothing, really. the Golden Gate Bridge. Golden Gate Bridge thing is kind of like, yeah. memor- it's memorable, at least. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah that was the one with the, the, on the, like, it's a good, like, you know. Mayday ending. riding out and blowing up is like that's the a good movie image. for me. You yeah, know? That's, that's a good image, movie. too. Yeah, it's um, great. But, you know, but does it mean Anyway, okay, so moving ahead. Sneaky Bond says, it depends on which criteria you're basing your rankings. If you're considering quality, I don't think of you to a kill best Dr. No on any quality except for music and villains. Dr. No has a cooler Bond performance, stronger Bond girls, better locations and cinematography, a tighter story, and it isn't held back by any silliness besides the dragon. Um, and, you know, a couple I, I other would, things, I would but whatever. make the argument, though, with the cinematography, that's kind of an up-in-the-air thing, because as we've been talking about, like, modernizing and all that the modernization of the two yeah. films because even going back and watching dr no i'm like yeah this film was made in 1962 like it's it's yeah. very the way the lighting hits all the actors it it feels mm-hmm. like it's been made on a stage and even when they're on location it the lighting isn't the best it doesn't really yeah. it, it feels they like do day for night and you, you can't can even see, see you can see the scenes, cracks like too like yeah. you can see the moments where like a car passes by and the cameraman's there or when he's in the phone mm. booth like you see those little like oh they're the, you can know they're making this movie but like yeah. that's where i'm like yeah i think a view to a kill probably has better cinematography but that also is years of filmmaking after 14 films and, and you know and, yeah. yeah yeah it's just it, it is bigger that, and that again it's like it's bigger. Is it better? That's what we're discussing. He continues. Yeah. But if I'm in the mood for Bond, I'll choose to watch A View to a Kill more often. That's what I said, right? Like, it's it's enjoyable. It may not be a better movie, but goddammit, I enjoy it more. In fact, I choose just about any Bond over Dr. No because each film does something more with the basic formula, whereas Dr. No simply establishes the formula, and that's it. I guess that makes it less interesting, even if it is objectively better in quality. So if you were ranking the movies by watchability, A View to a Kill might prevail over Dr. No, but for me, I rank Dr. No at 13, while A View to a Kill is further down around 17 to 19. Spockadile responds with, This is a good take. I agree about choosing most over Dr. No based on entertainment value. Despite its silliness, I have a great time watching A View to a Kill. Although I don't know... If I agree, Dr. No even established the formula. I think it simply laid the foundation for one formula used in Bond movies, like From Russia With Love, OHMSS, and For Your Eyes Only, that more grounded spy story. The more traditional Bond formula I don't think was established until Goldfinger, as we talked about in depth, but I'm being very pedantic. It's a solid take. Don't shoot the food, says Dr. No all the way. I'm a huge fan of A View to a Kill. It was the first Bond film I saw in a theater. But Dr. No is a stunning achievement. Uh, blowing it off because it's rudimentary is a mistake. Again, that's not calling it rudimentary does, isn't like blowing it off. It's just like calling it what it is. Uh, it should be endlessly praised for how it invented the Bond formula out of thin air. It has great sets, the unveiling of the score, a great opening titles. A supervillain, etc., etc. But more than any of this, the line "That's a Smith and Wesson, and you've had your six is probably the single best line in the entire series. I'm working for. It's a Smith and Wesson, and you've had your six. 
This is the big bang of the Bond universe and should be appreciated for this much more than it is. It baffles me that people downgrade this film because it's barely a Bond film or whatever. Stupefying, stupid statement. Again, for the millionth time, we're not saying it's bad because it's simple. The question is, does simple perfection trump something that's bigger and potentially better? And that's why this is such a hard decision. Um, it, it's, it's like, it's like downgrading our arguments by just saying that like, it was, it's simple, it's bad. Like, none of us are saying that. Scott, it's what old is your and argument boring. Like, McCurdy, shut up. We all fucking love every one of these movies, except one or two. Anyway, um, the Phantom Stranger 07 says, I am going to dissent with popular opinion and place a view to a kill above Dr. No. I believe that everyone has pointed out valid facts about both films, but I just lean a little more toward A View to a Kill in this case. As previously stated, Dr. No has a very straightforward and rudimentary plot, but there is nothing wrong with that. Amen. I, I will say that I find the good doctor a tad on the boring side for a Bond villain. I like the premise of a mystery man on a mystery island working for Spectre, but that is kind of where he loses it for me. He's a very, shall we say, hands-off pun intended, villain for the most part, letting his henchmen and lackeys do most of the work. In fact, he has only a brief physical fight with 007 before meeting his demise. Also, I don't think that Dr. No was ever shown anywhere else but in his base on Crab Key, and I'm not sure that there is a real reason for that. Now, if you look at A View to a Kill, Zorn is shown out on location in several different areas, including San Francisco, the Kentucky Derby, it's not the Kentucky Derby. Uh, <laughs> as Scott no. would say, you simple-minded f***. Um, no. the, the mine in Silicon Valley, etc. I will grant that he is also sort of hands-off as well, but at least he gets out of his house. True. I also feel like the Zorn character has more depth to him as well. Then there's Mayday. Mayday is a very interesting character as well. She kills for Zorn as she is under the impression that he loves her. If he's even capable of that. Uh, but then when the truth is brought to light, she makes a quick decision to sacrifice herself in order to derail, <laughs> uh, his entire plan. I think even Bond was shocked when he realized what she was going to do. Yeah. I could go on, but allow me to wrap this up by saying that I give a view to a kill the edge over Dr. No, and it is a close edge due to the characters having more depth. Plus it gets extra points for Sir Godfrey. Lol. Yeah, and, and again, that's 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 why we took a week off to to reconvene now because it's like, which is it? Like the simple perfection, yeah. or like the fourteenth movie that's like big and big and has has story? Alpesh AC says comparison is the thief of joy, so quit it. Uh, and I basically told him the. To off, like we're not <laughs> stopping the show. Uh, Alpesh AC. We're only here to compare things. <laughs> uh, and, and that quote, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy is like us not comparing ourselves to Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan has 10 million followers. Like <laughs> it, it, it says nothing about meticulously comparing Bond movies until you puke or get really, really fucked up. Harm's Way says it's just a matter of taste. But I think most people will put Dr. No higher, partly due to nostalgia. Yes. Dr. No started a film series, A View to a Kill ended Moore's tenure. Trying to, trying to put all that nostalgia aside, not an easy thing to do when talking about Dr. No, I'll still say that Dr. No is the better film. Both films have a solid narrative, but Dr. No has a better cast, especially a better bond, 
and a few scenes that stand out more. View to a Kill has a better soundtrack and more impressive action. The horse racing and the way it's integrated into the story is really clever. Again, I agree. Uh, but the film sort of runs out of steam once the setting has changed to San Francisco. Although it comes back to life when we are at the Golden Gate Bridge. But overall, I say Dr. Noah is a more even film. Sure. You should use tier rankings so you can get away from these impossible comparisons. Uh, nine! Nine! GM Dark says, Hi, guy in his 60s here. So, uh, older than Roger Moore. Uh, okay, when gotta be honest. Yeah. Uh, gotta be honest, I've never particularly liked Dr. No. Sure, Connery never looked better, but so many of the things in it are not quite there. The Bond Connery plays in that one isn't the same guy he plays in the rest. He's very much a 50s idea of a great white savior throughout. Oh, God, we're bringing race into this. Barking <laughs> orders out to the natives. Jesus. What? Let's stop there. Let's <laughs> the critical race theory in the house. Shockingly, two-dimensional attitude towards women and anyone he considers socially beneath them. What fucking 60s era hippie? Is this George Lazenby? And the number of times he kills that poor defenseless tarantula. How many times does he whack that thing with his shoe? Ten minutes? Half an hour? Every time I see that scene, I'm obliged to point out, Jim, Jimmy, Jimbo, you got it first whack, mate. Fuck's sake, calm down. And then he hits it some more. My God, by the end, what could possibly be left to hit? What would you call that? A... A quantum of tarantula, possibly? What the f- Who the fuck is this? Connery's Bond <laughs> is very, up. very different in his subsequent films. More egalitarian. Yeah, he's definitely more egalitarian. He hits men and women. Much easier to like. Yeah, in Dr. No, you do get that iconic... Uh, you guys drink for him. And you've had your six but uh, bit with Dent, but dear God, they... They guy literally just shot an unarmed, inexperienced geologist clearly out of his depth and crapping himself, who probably could have given up more information if only he wasn't quite as well ventilated as he ends up. I mean, Bond didn't need him anymore. I've always ranked Dr. No both first and last. Interesting. Is it better than A View to a Kill as a piece of cinema? Infinitely. Dr. No, worse than all, is at least the original Bond movie and A View to a Kill. Love it, though I do, is a straight rehash of Goldfinger, not done with any of the panache of the original and with a guy in the lead who was stiffer than my grandfather at the time he was, he, bless him, my granddad passed away six years earlier. I love Roger Moore. He spelled Roger wrong. I just, he's spelling a lot of things wrong. I love Roger Moore. I do. And A View to a Kill for me has always got its place. But as a movie, it's insignificant. Dr. No actually changed cinema. Sure. Cinema, I don't know, but like, I would, I would argue yes, and I yeah. could go on a rant on that, but, but he's right, it did. I okay. mean, I okay. mean, I mean, think about it like this way, like, like what cinema? As, okay, so as much as Star, like Star Wars, Wars did, like, yeah, like a blockbuster. Think about, okay, well, think about it at the time, like there was no what, 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 uh, what action series? Uh, like today, we have the Marvel films, right? To or superhero movies in general, right? Yeah. Like what series of films? were there back in the 50s and 60s you had westerns and they were still popular up until the 50s but there wasn't an action spy movie like dr no and then when dr no hits the scene in 62 like that's 
that was like the spark off point when you had all these again, like I talked kind of about this in Dr. No in mm. some of the other films, but like because of Dr. No, you get all of this spy gambit, right? You get my man Flint, you get secret agent man, you get uh, the man from uncle, like you get all these uh, like, okay, mission, okay, okay, mission okay. Impossible, it, like it, all it those changed, television shows. Yeah, sure. It changed, uh, it changed, um, uh, uh it, it birthed a genre, but it like changed yeah. filmmaking forever. Maybe where spy movies went from there, but then you have North it, by it, Northwest. I mean, when is, you think of, but, and then again, like I've said this before too, is that out thriller and spy of, had been there. Mm, like, okay, it birthed but, a wait, genre is different get, from to it though. Every, get like to this, Star Wars changed cinema. It, it, it yeah. invented the blockbuster. I mean, Jaws, whatever. But like Star it Wars, created, it created, created films with... like it, it, it shifted the way movies were made versus yeah. did Dr. No like. I think it did. I mean, it did create like it was kind of the proto blockbuster of its time. Like it didn't. I mean, it made a lot of money for I mean, we've talked about how much money they had to put into making that movie, but yeah. it definitely changed cinema for the better i think for okay. creating that kind of characters and that kind of story there wasn't really anything prior to that that people could that you could latch on to i mean yeah north by northwest was there but like most people kind of connect that with just hitchcock doing hitchcock films i mean I, this was this I would, became like, its own psycho, thing and it kind of psycho was like a prototypical blockbuster psycho is but a like proto to i don't know like about dr no slasher yeah. films you know what i mean but like but this also kind of goes back to why i always kind of say the first six films are the only real james bond movies because after that it's just like rehashing old ideas yeah and this movie does that too totally you know? yeah yeah of course so Okay, okay, okay. So uh, he continues, as for Dr. No, yeah, loads wrong with it, and I don't tend to pop it in the Blu-ray player very often, but you have to give props to its place in the world. That movie put Bond on the cultural map. A lighthearted rehash of a much better film in the first place really doesn't, as enjoyable as I find View to a Kill to be. It is not in the same league of cinematic history, not remotely even close. Believe me, I do understand your sentiments here, but Dr. No is just one of those things you've just got to give it full props because it is the first Bond movie. That is actually reason enough. All the best with your tube thing. Let us know what you've decided. Tube thing. Your tube thing. <laughs> your YouTube The thing. YouTubes. <laughs> your tube thing. Yeah, the tube thing. <laughs> I, I get, I, like, again, I get it, but I've said from the get-go that I really don't like these arguments that require this outside knowledge. Now, I know, like, everybody knows Dr. No was the first movie, but if you were to watch these in a vacuum where you don't have that historical knowledge, you don't know what movie came first. So it, 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 I, I just don't see that as grounds for it being better or worse. I, I, you know, knowing that they only had a million dollars is outside knowledge that just watching the movie you would be unaware of. So I, I just don't like those arguments. It just reminds me of that god awful moment in history when everybody was like, did you know Leo actually ate raw fish in The Revenant? That means he deserves an Oscar. And I'm like, yeah, but that movie sucks. I don't care what trivia you know about it, like how cold it was or how disgusting the fish was. The guy doesn't deserve an Oscar for rolling around on the ground for three hours and wheezing. But, you know, once again, outside knowledge bleeding into how people are judging something rather than judging it on its own merits. <sighs> Notice a trend here. Some people did. Some people didn't. But like most people, they, they're not talking about the Dr. No story. They're like, it was the first movie and it's landmark. And I'm like. I get that. I fully understand. But does that automatically mean that Dr. Knows better because it established certain tropes and sh What this all comes down to is story versus style. 
nobody's arguing in favor of Dr. No's story. They're just like, oh, he's sitting there playing Baccarat and it's great. And and, and, and McCurry, I'm not That's talking about me. you because you've, yeah. you've, you've argued your point. This to death, is me saying you know. that you're wrong in that you're saying that it's just story versus style. Me saying that, like, you can't just judge a movie by simply its story if the other elements don't support the story, sure. like the performances or. That's why this is so hard. <laughs> And that's the problem with the view to a kill is that you're like, it's got great story. But like, I'm telling you that like everything else that is attached to this monstrosity that is a view to a kill as much as it's an enjoyable film to watch doesn't really hold up the kind of story it's trying to tell. And whereas Dr. No, everything a part of that film, the cast of characters, the the atmosphere, the music, the, the action, all of that still supports the story that is being told. A simple one, be it that is a mystery story. And then, it, you know, trying to find out who the bad guy is at the end, like, you know, trying to discover the evil plot, whatever. That all being said, that movie, everything about it supports it. Like, that's, I think that's boils it down. And I don't, I don't see it as a, you're seeing it as like style versus substance. I would make those arguments about something like Batman, like the two Batman movies. You, Batman versus the Dark Knight, right? The Tim Burton Batman, a lot of people really like that movie over the Dark Knight. The Dark yeah. Knight has a better story and kind of goes more in depth with a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, but the first Batman movie still leaves the indelible image of like the costume, Jack Nicholson's Joker, the Batmobile, all that stuff's way more iconic in those two films. But yeah. like that's a flavor thing. But I think here it's different in that like I think the stories are equally good. I just think dr no at least has things everything supports it whereas the other film it's like yeah well okay okay a little old you know on 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 like on that note of of batman right like Mm -hmm. i because i i wrote in my notes at one point that like there's a certain thing that happens where people are like and i think it's the case with secret service i don't want to go down the the secret service rabbit hole but i i think that with secret service there's a certain element of like it's cool to be retro and people like an older thing and then they shit on the newer thing. And so you're mm-hmm. right. Like some people are like, yeah, 1989 Batman is better than the dark Knight," And it makes people go, <gasps> because yeah. objectively speaking, dark Knight is the better movie. It's objectively speaking. But then there totally. are people who are like, no, actually like, like in the same way that I like vinyl, vinyl just sounds better. And you're like, you hipster. fucking yeah. hipster, you goddamn Hipsters. hipster. Because they, they <laughs> yeah. attach a certain amount of like, there's like this ineffable, ineffable quality to like this old thing that you don't understand, but I get it because like I'm probably smarter. I can't articulate why, but like <laughs> I like the older thing and like you don't, which like I'm retro, but you know what I mean? Like people just attach themselves to something older or again, I only like foreign films. I only like older films. New stuff's garbage. You don't get it. And, and that's that's where I'm a little more cynical, where I'm like, no, no, no. How about the movie just didn't really live up to what it was trying to do? You know, but but anyway, when it comes to this, I just I reject the argument that because Dr. New, uh, Dr. New, Dr. Dr. No new. is is not new and and that it's classy and all that. Like, I just I reject that argument because it's like we're trying to look at all the Bond movies and they can't all be the first one that established no. it. You know, the question no. is, uh, do the newer ones Again, my argument of like it's technically bigger. Does that mean better? Bigger doesn't always mean better, like with Thunderball. But in this case, is bigger better? So here's what I'll say. I'm going to throw this out there, and and y'all let me know how you receive it. Basically, 
when I really started thinking about pretty much everything McCurdy's been saying throughout this and how to apply the Dr. No and Goldfinger era to View to a Kill. And and basically for me, what the what a View to a Kill needed was the Joker Batman interrogation scene. Right. Something that helps us get to know him, Zorin, and possibly see his way of things and possibly root for him, right? In the same way that like maybe you root for Drax or or um any bad guy really um where you can see their side of things and even if you disagree with them on a moral level you're like i understand why they're doing it look to goldfinger's golf scene this is really what's where my thinking started to go it's fun and cool as hell and classy whereas a view to a kill we have this horse riding scene instead it's certainly not as cool and classy because it's turned into a bit of an action scene instead of an interesting dialogue scene between our hero and villain that's the key our hero and villain in a view to a kill we get so much zorin he's a super active bad guy but not with bond himself we miss out on a relationship between bond and zorin there's literally only one dialogue scene between them where the mask is off right and mask off meaning like they both know who each other is every other scene one of them's pretending to be something he isn't like zorin pretending to be innocent bond pretending to be sinjin or whatever uh, so I let me propose a change, right? And this is um, I'm, again, I'm going to go d- the route of like, here's how I would change the movie to, to to. This is where a View to a Kill would have been Goldfinger, Doctor No, classy. Let's say instead, Zorin, who's already like, so this is like where they're having their horse riding scene, right? Like Zorin's already on to Bond at this point. Um, he goes out on a ride with Bond, continues talking to Bond um, on this ride, each of them provoking each other, right? Each pretending that they're not aware of the other's real self. It's just two guys out and about having a chat, much like Bond and Goldfinger had many times. A battle of words. Remember, Bond knows that Zorn probably has a microchip in his jockey whip so he can cheat in a race, right? So Bond continues provoking Zorin, who provokes back until he makes the wager that if Bond beats him in a horse race, he can keep the horse. Maybe then Bond points out that he couldn't possibly win against a horse that's been tampered with, again, provoking him. And this is when Zorn plays his ace in the hole and activates the microchip and not his horse, but in Bond's horse, throwing Bond over a cliff to his death or, you know, like falling into a river or something and, and dying or so Zorn thinks. This could easily be intercut with Tibbet's death for better effect. Bond falls into a river and off a, a waterfall or whatever, like Zorn's like, that motherfucker's dead. Bond finds the car with Tibbet in it, and this becomes Bond's lowest point in the film. He's been defeated and humiliated. Um, either way, we needed a scene like this to better grow a relationship between Bond and his adversary while giving us a sense of why Zorin is doing what he does. What we got instead were three interactions. There's literally three interactions between them and then the fight at the end, but nothing that really grows a relationship between them, as well as building up Zorn's motivation. And this is important in Bond movies. His motivation seems obvious. Again, like I said, he's just like a psycho who wants to take over the world. Uh, backstory, backstory, backstory. But to have it delivered to Bond in the style of Goldfinger or Dr. No would have been a nice touch, a Bond movie touch. Like, okay, imagine Zorn, you know, he's been riding with Bond a bit. They're talking and like his backstory comes out and he's talking about being a, concentration camper um <laughs> being a camper we lived in the camps like animals i learned from my mother that people are like sheep i vowed to never be a cattle like this horse i'm riding there's a little visual metaphor he's riding the horse people are sheep people are cattle people are horses 
I'm on top of them, right? Like something as simple as that would have made this a little bit more of a profound movie. We needed to hear the backstory from the man himself and not just from Chuck Lee from the CIA, right? Like, and that would have, at that point, maybe you start, even though Zorn's a psycho, maybe you start rooting for him because he, he did, like he came from shit and he's like, you know, like he, coming from a concentration camp, you might be like, you might have a complex that requires you to run the world so that you won't, ever be put in that position again um like like uh like magneto well, not or something. that you're experimenting on your mother's experimented on yeah, and exactly so so again like i i i'm never going to be an animal again you know everybody else is a sheep but me all in all um it's a difficult sell because if you do a kill is so much better in so many departments it's not just bigger as in the case of thunderball where, where it wasn't necessarily better it's bigger and better in my book but the counter argument is one of nostalgia and class, and I get it. That's something that's hard to beat, especially when the movie does have some ridiculousness. But Dr. No does have the actual sit down with Dr. No, where we get to know him and his strange motivation to glorify Spectre and the whole East West thing. And you really cannot make the argument that Dr. No could have been better than it is in this department or any other department. Dr. No's relationship to Bond, in which he keeps Bond alive to potentially recruit him, is more of a compelling relationship than Bond and Zorin ever have together and their complete lack of a connection. I only gratify your curiosity because you're the one man I've met capable of appreciating what I've done. And on these grounds, I'm willing to concede that, that Dr. No is better. Because we have so much Zorin... But we don't have a Bond Zorin relationship. And like, that's key. That's fucking key. It's funny you say that because both all the movies that we've talked about have a villain hero relationship. It's just like there's no, there's not really much here in this film. But like, I mean, even even the analogy films we were talking about, like Batman Mm -hmm. and The Dark Knight, like Batman 89 has at least some kind of connection where. Uh, you know, they even have moments together and, and you get a little sense of Joker's twistedness and then even like him realizing like, oh, you killed my parents. And then, you know, he's like, I killed a lot of kids and like realizing like it never really mattered to him because he killed tons of people in his lifetime. And then you got the Dark Knight where it's like there is that interplay between I mean, it's you can go on about it. It's like the chaos versus or the, the immovable object versus a unstoppable force. And like, yeah. You know, that that whole philosophical argument that they have between the two about chaos and and order and, you know, like that's there. Yeah. And then Dr. No, you know, we talked the East and West thing and how he just doesn't give a shit about either side. And he's like, Fuck him. yeah, um, dude. OK, imagine imagine the Dark Knight, though, without the Joker interrogation scene. Like like let me put it in perspective. It would be just like a view to a kill, like where. Zorin's just out there doing stuff and then mm-hmm. Bond's out there doing stuff, but they're not interacting as opposed to uh, Joker's out there doing stuff and Batman's out there doing stuff. But then they have these key scenes where they are able to kind of articulate their worldview. Yeah. And that lends to like, like, cause again, like going all the way back to Dr. No, where, you know, uh, Dr. No's like be a criminal and Bond's like, why become criminal? You know, like it, it's like, Dr. No's like, you could be like me and you could have money and riches and all that. And Bond's like, but why? You know, and, and so that's where it's like good, evil. The successful criminal brain is always superior. It has to be. Why become criminal? On those grounds, I'm like, cool with it being below Dr. No. Uh, and I assume you guys are cool with that. You don't want to argue anything else, right? We've gone on long enough. 
No, not at this point. Well, no. actually, uh, no, let's put it below for your eyes only. Uh, <laughs> let's put it below Octopussy. You guys are cool with it being below Dr. No, above for your eyes only. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't think we need yeah, to rehash I mean, they, why. They really are so close. Yeah, I mean, and like the, the idea too. that a view to a kill is one of Roger Moore's worst. I, I just, I just, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I don't think it's his worst, but I do think it's not one of his better ones. So, and again, I mean, just like that guy said, his age doesn't bother me, but I guess the extent they go to cover it up. Yeah, can, it's it's yeah. the it's the how to make him look younger. Put a pretty lady on his ar- on each of his arms, and it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. he's he's hot now. But Four it's like, them. okay, yeah. I can only buy that. Yeah. When so, before like, they had who, who like Mod Adams, yeah. which is more level, like you it, know, almost like his age, like, makes sense. Yeah, his age. Well, in, in the last episode, Nathan said he said, "Are they making a concerted effort to have older Bond girls to compensate for Roger Moore's age?" And yeah. Hugh McCurdy said, "Not in a view to a kill, <laughs> like not at all." So I'm gonna go ahead and lock it in, guys. We. After like two goddamn weeks, we've figured it out. <laughs> Goldfinger, fuck you. Still at number one from Rush with Love. Number two, Spy Who Love Me. Number three, Man with the Golden Gun. Number four, Doctor No. Number five, View to a Kill. Welcome. Number six, number seven for your eyes only. Number eight, O H M S S. Number nine, Thunderball. Number ten, Octopussy. Number eleven, Live and Let Die. Moonraker at twelve. Diamonds Are Forever at thirteen. You only live twice. You fucker. You're still at fourteen. <sighs> okay, that was. That was a marathon through the Roger Moore movies. And um, that's why, like, when I rewatch these movies, I always get stuck on the Roger Moore films because it's two very distinct eras. And it's it's not like what like as you watch. You can breeze through Connery pretty quickly. You get to George Lazenby and then you're like, oh, I just got one more Connery film. And I really like Andre Magic's Secret Service. But then it's like, OK, now we're at the Roger Moore movies. You get the first two films, which for some people are hit or miss for me it's a miss uh i like the first one the second one but we've talked about that you we've do talked about that. <laughs> we've talked about that uh and then and then and then and then you get the next two that are almost like remakes of each other in a way weird way with with mm. uh, uh the spy who loved me and and uh uh moonraker and then it's like so that's like one distinct era but then the second era is like the john glenn like let's rehash and remake the film's instead of finding what's new and hip. So it's like, let's do the first one. Let's do Honor, Majesty, Secret Service. The second one's kind of from Russia with Love, but not. And then the next one's Goldfinger. And then more should have been done, like, after You you Only Live Twice. It takes a long time uh, to do that. You said You Only Live Twice. He should have been done after For Your Eyes Only? For Your Eyes Only. Did I say You Only Live Twice? Yeah, 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 it should have been done. Sorry, thank you. Thank you. So um and and again I can't I I really can't see Dalton in A View to a Kill. Like I can't see anybody but Roger Moore in A View to a Kill. Again, be- because of that scene with Sinjin Smythe. Mayday, where have you been? I've been waiting for you to take care of me personally. I can't see anybody but Roger Moore in that yeah. scene. And and I'll get to why because when once we introduce all the bonds, I'm going to go through my I'm asked all the time, who's your favorite James Bond? And I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck you. I'm not going to pick. I'm going to explain to you how they're all different. We're going to get to that. But in the meantime, McCurdy, let's honor the guy. Here's to the late Sir Roger Moore. Roger Moore. The man. If you, if you don't like this dude's movies, your soul's dead. I'm sticking to that, and I'm drinking. Thanks, Roger.
Wait, wait, wait. Whoa. Wait, wait, wait. We forgot somebody. We forgot Miss Moneypenny. McCurdy. Again. One more time. She doubled the amount of movies that, that Roger made. Louis Maxwell, she had played the character Moneypenny for 14 films. Uh, and it makes sense, you know, that she, this is also her last movie, considering that they kind of interact age-wise together. You know, she could have been in another life married to Bond. Um, and they always had a playful uh, relationship. So it just makes sense that uh, this is also her last film. And she doubled, like yeah. you said, she doubled the number of films Roger Moore had ever done, who had done yeah. the most films. I, I want to re- reinstate that enough. He had done the most films in a row that are official Eon production Bond films. So here's the lowest Maxwell. The lowest. You can't even make a consistent argument other than saying bad movie, good movie, better guns, better women. Like, that's a bad argument. Where where are you going, McCurdy? Where are you going, McCurdy, you sad piece of shit? (laughs) Oh, oh, bad movie, good movie. Oh, sorry, McCurdy. My fucking fat (laughs) McCurdy.